0: Hyper elite web developer, I would have gone with one three three plus. That's what I would have gone with. Plus? I've never seen that. It's, lower, it's like a T. Yeah,
1: I don't know if I would have used plus. I, I can get behind the one.
0: Because, because you're not hyper elite. I understand why you oh wouldn't have gone God. with the plus. <laughs> I mean, I get it.
2: Oh my God. I've just never seen it written that way. Yeah. That's right, because you, you weren't ready to be that late
1: <laughs> I debated between the T and the seven, and I went with the T. But And I can absolutely see the one. I, I'm right with, there with you with the one, but... The plus, I agree with Marco. That that came out of left field.
0: No, it's usually it's a seven. You have both attained a new level of lateness today. It has to be either a T or a seven. Oh, that's that's the levels one and two. Plus, you go to the next level. <laughs> it just blows people's minds. Like he's so leading It's <laughs> a plus for a T. That's
1: madness. So if uh, if I command click on Safari, which one would think would on the dock, which one would think would open a new Safari window, would you not? I get a command, new command.
0: Command click reveals it in the Finder. What are you
1: talking about? So maybe I'm just a moron because anytime I do that, I get a new Finder window. So I guess I am a moron. No,
0: when you when you hold down the Command key and click on the Finder window Finder icon in your dock, it should show the Finder application in the Finder or the, whatever. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, well at least I know I'm an idiot and and it's expected behavior. Command
0: Option click on a folder does what click should do on a folder. God, I wish I could change that. Can I get an agreement on that, by the way? A single clicking with the regular plain old left mouse button on a folder that is in your dock should open that folder in the Finder.
1: Oh, you mean rather than doing the, like, explode out? (laughs) Rather
0: than doing one of the other two things it does, neither of which I ever want.
1: (laughs) I, why do I get a feeling that we're hearing the genesis of app number two or three or seven for you?
0: If only, if only <laughs> I could do that type of stuff. We don't know a little world where you can hack the dock anymore.
1: The struggle is real.
0: But do either one of you use like the, the springy out bendy tower? thing or the giant grid of icons that you can never find anything i in?
1: use the giant grid of icons that i that I, you are correct i can never find anything for downloads and only downloads and that is the only folder that is in my doc
2: i only i use it for downloads constantly but i only scroll to the bottom and hit show and finder or whatever Over <laughs> so <to> finder.
0: marco <laughs> i'm going to give you the advanced technology just hold down command and option and click on downloads and it will just open oh finder and then you can sort reverse by date and
1: that is very clever. I did not know that.
2: Yeah, because I, I keep downloads sorted by date descending. And what, what has always annoyed me about those Finder those folder stack things in the dock is that they completely ignore the settings that you have to sort files. Yep. And also, you can't like right-click on them and get a context menu on the things in there.
0: I would suggest uh, sorting your downloads folder by date added rather than date modified because sometimes it's possible to... To get things that like unzip and have a modification date that's in the past and they aren't at the top. So if you sort by date added descending and you always command option click on the downloads folder, it will open a finder window. I think that should either be the default behavior or one of the choices. If you like the bendy stack, fine, go for it. If you like the big grid, fine. But what if you just want the window to open in the finder? That would be nice too. Totally agreed. I've been command option clicking on the... uh, (sighs) Yeah, now that I used to use a drag thing dock for this. I used to have no folders in my dock and I had a drag thing dock that was down in the lower right corner, you know, that had folders in it and when you clicked on them, they opened their windows in the finder. That was cool.
1: You really had your world
0: rocked by <laughs> drag things disappearance, didn't you? I mean, it's not that bad. Like putting because the screen is so big, I've got a lot of room for folders in the dock now and I'm so accustomed <laughs> to uh to command clicking, uh, command option clicking folders in the dock. That it is a very pretty ingrained habit. But every once in a while, it bothers me when I remember that 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 I have to keep doing that.
1: Hmm. I'm sorry for your struggles, John. Are you? <laughs> I don't remember. You're a side dock person, is that right? Nope. You're bottom docker. I thought mm-hmm. I I thought you were, and then I convinced myself, no, John wouldn't do such a barbaric thing. Do you at least hide it automatically? At least. Nope. <gasps> John
0: hidden Dock is the worst. I don't want to oh, go down there and wait John for a thing to what is this iOS? I gotta drag my finger to the bottom of the screen and then wait. No. No waiting.
1: <laughs> why why, John? Why? Why the bottom? My
0: screen is really big. Believe me. I'm not hurting
1: <laughs> I'm not hurting for screen real estate. Now I will allow it, but before now, no.
0: Yeah, I didn't I did it on side on laptops because they were too small. Yes, yeah. See, on laptops I,
2: I I always do left side, but on laptops I do auto hide. On desktops I don't
0: interesting yeah i don't know mario you're not a you're not a lefty are you marco no no left side is the correct side uh, le- left side dock is madness why why <laughs> it's just plain madness why i read from left to right right exactly so the it should be left to right top to bottom the upper left corner is the, especially on a small screen is the most prominent location the dock shouldn't be there it's an auxiliary thing it should be far away from the upper left
1: it's not there it's auto hidden
0: oh and doc is also madness
1: hey let me let me really piss you off yeah would you auto hide the menu bar too no 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 uh even worse <laughs> no
0: that's barbaric i mean if you had 11 inch laptop maybe i guess
1: i do have an 11 inch laptop but uh no i or 12 inch strictly speaking mm-hmm. i i like the uh i like genie mode and i like magnification <gasps>
0: yeah, magnification i could take or leave genie is the default right so then that's I what everyone's so. using unless they change it
1: most people are very, very angry when I when I mention that I use magnification. Yeah,
0: I, don't know. I quite like it. I mean, it doesn't actually change the size of the targets, really, for at least width-wise. Uh, yeah, I, I could take it or leave it. I don't, I don't use it personally, but I don't think it's so terrible.
1: You are right that I shouldn't give you too much flax since you do have a monitor that's approximately the same size as your main <sighs> television, God. but. I still think left side's where it's at, personally. Uh,
0: yeah. We got a lot of windows open these days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let me tell you. Speaking of your monitor, that's a perfect segue to begin follow-up. Pro display XDR reference modes. Would you mind telling me about this?
0: God, we can't escape this topic. This is one more thing, I swear. The last one <laughs> last time someone someone wrote in about like the uh about using True Tone and how they endorsed it and they mentioned this ISO spec ISO one two six four six. Uh well uh, one of the uh anonymous experts about the pro Display xdr chimed in and said one of the reference modes for the pro Display xdr is exactly for iso 12646 you can set it to this mode and then it disables true tone and it sets it to this mode that is apparently super warm and then if you have your room set up the way that iso spec says you're supposed to have your room set up there you go you're all ready to do whatever the hell it was soft proofing on printed materials so well you can really just Spend all day going through the 800 reference modes supported by this and watching each one of them and going, ugh, Ooh, that looks weird. It's probably just because your room isn't set up right.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't gone full THX tune-up or whatever it's called on your monitor yet. Well,
0: that's the whole point. I bought it from them. They've already, it's calibrated at the factory. They put it on with the undercoating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well done oh my goodness all right so no other uh back pro follow-up that's it that's all we have
0: uh i think the only other i mean if you're asked for some i do have some i continue <laughs> to assess the internal storage situation on my mac there are many options for sticking all every kind of storage you can imagine inside here you can put i think six uh 3.5 inch hard drives in here if you want you can put in Uh, six or seven uh pci cards these two which can hold up to four uh m.2 uh ssd thingies you can put in a 400 hundred dollar rack mount thing that you can put two 3.5 inch drives in or two 2.5 inch drives all these options are very expensive and none of them i find particularly satisfactory at this moment i would have already bought that two drive pegasus thingamabobber that Stephen hackett bought if it didn't Costs four hundred dollars and come with an eight terabyte three point five inch hard drive that I don't want. Yeah, that's fair. I continue. Maybe Stephen will get tired of it and and he'll sell his old one to me. I'm looking <laughs> for, for them on eBay. <laughs> like I just want the thing with no drives in it. I've got drives. I don't need. I don't need your drives. I just want a like a convenient little case to mount things in. Uh, and so I'm still waiting on that, and it's kind of frustrating because right now like I'm I'm backing up Time Machine to this dinky little external two point five inch spinning hard drive that i have uh and it's a pain to have to connect it every once in a while let it do its thing and i don't want to leave it connected because it's just weird to have it dangling anyway i got a lot of room in my case still haven't filled it and i'm still waiting for the new video cards to come out they have still haven't released the supposed w 5700 xt or whatever it is that they've been advertising forever <laughs> so uh you know the the wait continues partially on apple and partially on third-party people i can't believe that owc or somebody hasn't just come out with like the 50 dollars version of an empty bracket where you can stick drives Uh, because pegasus made one but they just insist on making you buy an eight terabyte drive for 400 bucks which is kind of
1: cruddy i'm so sorry all right we should uh also clear the air with regard to ipad multitasking Uh, i went on a bit of a rant last week uh, moaning about how I don't care for the way iPad multitasking is, and I think all of us were moaning at some point or another about this. But us, I in particular, yeah, us. No, uh, I in particular went on a bit of a rant with regard to how you get multi iPad multitasking to work when you are trying to load something that is not in your dock. And you know what I had said was you can go back to the home screen and then pick up an icon and then it's like doing the little dancy thing but you don't want it to do the dancy thing blah blah blah. And people pointed out to me that one approach I'm probably going to get the exact order of operations wrong but the idea is another approach to handle this is you open app 1 go to the home screen open app 2 and then app one should be on the right-hand side of your dock in that, like, recents area. And then you can just grab it right there and put it into one of these side panels that you would like it to be in. So that is a little bit better and a little bit easier, and I should have known that. But nevertheless, I still find it to be uh, extremely frustrating. Unless and you
0: have that disabled. I think I have recents disabled. There,
1: there is an option to disable it, I'm almost sure. But to be fair, I have not disabled it to the best of my knowledge.
0: Yeah, i have disabled it but i've used that same technique like trying to launch it again to get it in the, like i don't know maybe i have it disabled in some devices and don't on others but yeah i don't want i have to say i have recent apps disabled in my mac dock and also in every ios device that i could remember to do it on because i don't want other stuff filling there. like i kind of i fill the bottom dock with a bunch of stuff and i don't want other things randomly hopping in there just because i use them recently so That kind of kills that technique, but I still find myself doing it like launching it the regular way as a as a way to get it available for multitasking. Maybe I just do that instinctively and it doesn't work and I just go back to the the way you described the last time. I don't even know. It's it's confusing. The thing I, I played with this a little bit more after the show to say maybe there are other obvious ways that I'm forgetting and it just really kills me that in multitasking view on the iPad where you see little miniature versions of all your open apps that you can't just grab them and like drag them on top of each other like that that uh, functionality, as far as I'm aware is not actually used for anything and it's just so obvious like here they are do you want to squish them together, grab one and squish it together It's like nope you can't grab them here, even though these are cute little pictures of all your apps they're not for your grabbing <laughs> they're just they're just for you to view and enjoy no grabbing. <laughs> Again, unless there's some weird, you know, three-finger, stand-on-one-foot-long-press-tongue gesture that I don't know about. (laughs) Wow. We are brought to you this week by Squarespace.
2: Start building your website today at squarespace.com slash ATP. Enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Squarespace makes it super easy to make websites. It's as simple as that. Look, most of you have probably heard this message a million times. Let me tell you why you really want to choose them. I know that a lot of our listeners, myself included, are able to make our own websites other ways, using CMSs that other people make, that we install, or other services, or building our own from scratch, which is usually the method I take. But the reality is, most of the time, that's not worth our time. And Squarespace does a lot of things better than what we can do ourselves. So for instance, if I had to make like a storefront, a gallery or you know things like this squarespace does that super easily all built in way better than i could do it and it takes me no time because i didn't have to build it right if you're making a website for yourself or what happens a lot to nerds like us if you're making a website for somebody else somebody else has asked you to hey make you know help me make my website better it's so much easier and so much more time efficient to just go to squarespace and and do it there because you can set up a website in no time at all and you, they'll, they'll support it. You don't have to support it. And it's just amazing the quality you get, the modern features, the modern designs, all the wonderful layout and responsive stuff, all that's built in with Squarespace. And you don't have to build it yourself and you don't have to support it. So check it out today, squarespace.com slash ATP. Anybody with any skill level can go there, start a free trial site, and make an awesome-to-use site in no time at all. When you want to sign up for Squarespace, go back there, squarespace.com slash ATP, and use offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com slash ATP, code ATP. Thank you so much to Squarespace for sponsoring our show. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Uh.
1: May I, gentlemen, go a little bit off plan for a moment? Are you willing to bear with me on this?
0: Sure, I'm always willing so, to go off the
1: plan. <laughs> <laughs> Marco doesn't know the plan, so
0: as far as he's concerned, everything is off the plan. <laughs> <All
1: right. laughs> everything is on the plan. All right. If you wouldn't mind, would you please make sure your Skype windows are visible?
0: Mm-hmm. I got a lot of windows open.
1: Marco, would you mind describing to people what you're looking at? Which is actually my screen.
2: Well, I see uh, Casey's screen being shared. Being his uh, his form discovered uh, four quadrant layout <laughs> patented. <laughs> he has <laughs> Skype taking up a quarter of the screen, uh, Colloquy IRC on the other corner, and the other column is a Safari window and a uh, code editor of some kind. Looks like Sublime, mm-hmm. maybe or
1: Video Studio Code.
2: Cool. And then the uh, Safari window is showing App Store Connect, uh, which is where you go to upload and manage apps that you've made. And it appears to be showing an app that I have not heard you talk about yet. No. Can I, can I say the name? You may. You may. Named peak of You, which is a pretty cool name. I don't know what it does yet, but it's called peak of and it has looks like an emoji wearing sunglasses as the icon.
1: <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. So what I am doing is I am sending you to a test flight invite. Oh, I don't, have, I don't have my phone with me. It's an iOS app, right? It is an iOS app. I am sending you a test flight invite to my latest app, which is called Peekaview, and I should tell you about it. But while I do that, I guess I can just get ready to do this little thing right here. Mark, would you mind describing to me what's going on now?
2: Oh my God, that icon is adorable. Hold on. I'm looking at the icon. It's like, it's the, uh, the Viewmatic thing, like the, where you look through the Viewmaster. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you look through the goggles and there's the, there's the circular thing of 3D pictures and they like flip around as you click the button on top. That's right. All right. Oh, it looks like, so you, you are looking at the screen in App Store Connect when your app has been approved mm-hmm. and it's in an pending developer release state where you've clicked manually release and you are clicking release this app. I am indeed. So it appears that you have just released a brand new app that I
1: didn't even know you had been working on. This is true. So as, uh, there we go. Okay. So as of literally right now, it is ready for sale. So, uh, Hey, guess what? I wrote another app.
2: That's awesome. Wait, how long have you been doing this? You didn't mention this at all. (laughs)
1: No. By design, and I'm going to stop sharing my screen because this is creepy, uh, by design, um, what I have done is over the last couple of months, I have created a new app. And one of the things I wanted to do as part of that is not tell you to because I thought it would be fun to surprise you on the show.
0: You, you kind of did an okay job. I kind of knew you were working on a new app. like if, <laughs> if, 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 <laughs> Listeners, if you had been listening for the clues, I think there was enough on episodes of ATP that you could tell. I mean, even even as recently as a couple days ago, you posted some picture from Wegmans. It's like, we know you're working on an app. We just didn't know what it was. We didn't know it was already ready. <laughs> I, I'm mad that I left my phone upstairs. I want to go try the test flight.
1: Well, I'm sorry. I should have warned you, but I didn't want to give anything away. So, uh, all kidding aside, it is rolling out as we speak. Um, if you're listening to this live, you probably won't be able to see it for an hour or two. But... Uh, the idea is it's called Peak of View, as Marco had mentioned. The icon is adorable and I wish I could take any credit for it. But it was my good friend, Steve, uh, who if you listen to analog, you would know is stay. And if you don't listen to analog, you won't get that joke. But nevertheless, uh, the app is called Peak of view It is it was born in our Disney trip. And so I should probably explain. When when uh, we all went to Disney, as I think we talked about on the show, I mean, I know we talked about Disney on the show, but I don't know if we talked about this part of it. Uh, Michaela, whom I love dearly and who was just shy of two years old at the time, she was not enthusiastic about uh, going in the stroller. And when you're at Disney World, that is a little bit frustrating. And what we ended up figuring out was that we could give her our phone, one of our phones and lock her into the photos app using, um, using guided access. And that would let her look at the photos in our phones. And we knew she couldn't like go send texts or whatever the case may be, but nevertheless, it, it, she could have still deleted stuff. Right. And that's, that's not good. We don't, we don't want that. And so it occurred to me, well, I know how to write iOS apps. I could write a read only photo gallery. That's something I can do. We have the technology. We can do this. And so I think the first commit was something like the 2nd of November, and we had gotten home on the 30th of October. And I was working on this uh, all of November, the portions of December that I actually worked and was a grown-up, and all of January. And the first version was approved but not put up for sale on the last day of January, on the 31st. I realized there was an oops that was entirely my fault, so I pulled it yesterday. Yesterday, I believe it was yesterday. I pulled it, or maybe it was the day before. Sometime in the last 48 hours, it's been a blur. I, I developer rejected the build and then put it back up, which was very stressful because even though app review time is pretty good, I was scared that all of a sudden I would, you know, I've been waiting for tonight's ATP for weeks. And like, I didn't know exactly when it would be, but I've been waiting for a long time to do this for you guys, to you guys, etc. <laughs> and I was scared that then this would be the one time I get, like, rejected or there's, like, a two-day wait or whatever. But thankfully, it all worked out. So, the idea behind peak of You is that it is a read-only photo gallery that you could hand to a kid or a client or a friend. And the only thing that they can do is look at the photos that, that that you've given to them.
0: I've already got a bug report. Oh, of course you do. Of course <laughs> got, you do. I got my phone del- delivered.
1: You didn't even make it
0: through the description. <laughs> I know. I know. Keep going, but I just wanted you to know.
1: Uh, wonderful. See, this is the thing. This is the danger by not telling the two of them, I love you too dearly, but you're both total pains in the ass. And uh, it is for the best that you have a bug report because I can fix it then. But uh, yeah, so the idea is you can choose one of your albums that you've set up in photos and you can, uh, you can limit the app to just that album. And once Guided Access is turned on, there's nothing that they can do to change the album. To, there's never anything they can do to delete anything, to edit anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the shtick. Uh, it is a similar to Vignette. It is uh, free to see twenty your mo- most twenty most recent uh, photos or videos or what have you, and it is a five dollar an app purchase in order to see the rest of your stuff. And surprise, that's what that's what's wow. going on. So
2: first of all, that's a pretty cool idea.
1: Hey, Second thanks.
2: of all, I love some of your implementation details that you've done here. So. I like that you have like like the bigger and smaller pictures in your collection view here like like I guess like the highlighted ones are bigger or some, somehow some of them are bigger and I love your auto playing of live photos as videos that is really cool
1: <laughs> I thank you I appreciate that cuz <laughs> Mike was just yelling at me about that same thing. So for those of you who are keeping up, uh, I recorded Analog Monday, but we did not broadcast it live. And the reason we didn't was because we didn't want anyone to know about this. So uh, Mike was giving me a hard time. Mike was on the beta. uh, And and it's not because I love him more. It's just because I wanted to surprise the two of you. And anyways, he was yelling at me because he did not care for the moving live photos. So I might, I have a couple ideas there. I might turn that off automatically if you're like John and do the, uh, I forget the name of it, but the reduced motion or maybe i'll maybe i'll add a switch we'll see but um no
2: that's as as it is
1: i like it i I like it as well
2: what's also nice is that compared to the actual official apple photos app it's faster to get in and out of photos like it seems like you have duplicated their animation a little bit but you've done it faster like i would even say get rid of that little bounce that it does at the end because (laughs) because the bounce looks a little weird at the speed Mm -hmm. But I love how fast it is to get in and out of a photo. Like, because you can hold the phone with one hand and just tap with your thumb in and then tap and, you know, drag down to go out. And you can do the exact same motion. I'm switching back and forth here. The exact same motion works in Apple Photos, but it takes longer and you have to go further. So by almost but not quite cloning the Apple interaction model, You've actually made an improvement here, possibly accidentally, <laughs> by by making your timings all a little bit faster and your tolerance is all a little bit tighter. So this is actually a really good way to very quickly flip through photos. So that's pretty cool. Thanks. I also like that you autoplay videos. When you open up a video, it autoplays it. And it does it muted. Yes, yeah, so it autoplays it muted, and there's a little mute there's a little thing in the bottom there, unmute it. That is a really nice like this is not only good for the 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 uh, use case that you've outlined here of like you know controlling somebody's access to your photos and just letting them view it. This is also good to just quickly review recent photos you've taken
0: because <laughs> like it's so fast to get
1: in and out. John, you've been quiet. I'm a little scared.
0: I'm playing with the app. I tried to do the in-app purchase, but I got one of your emoji-filled error messages.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, hopefully it's not completely broken. We'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, I did. I looked at the setting screen, and it clearly is a Casey setting screen. <laughs> Yes, it is. It's full of emoji and lots of explanatory text.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, I didn't have the benefit of you editing me and and cutting down all the text, which I was very (laughs) sad about. But uh, there will be improvements, I'm quite sure. In fact, uh, I already have realized that in certain cases, if you have, for example, a panorama, which is really, really big, Uh, the version, the peak of you shows as of, as of the time we record this isn't quite full resolution and I've already fixed that bug, but I was so scared to go through the same dance of like, oh, if I submit it, maybe it won't be ready in time, et cetera, et cetera. And so I haven't yet submitted that fix. I'll presumably do it first thing tomorrow morning, but, um. But yeah, I'll, now, I'll, now I'll actually be able to, for real, test my in-app purchase stuff, because I've tested the snot out of it in test flight, but it never, <laughs> ever seems to work exactly the same. Um, but thank you for trying to throw me $5. Uh, yeah, so anyways, I uh, I definitely have some work to do on this. It's it's funny, because in a lot of ways this is far less ambitious than Vignette. I think Vignette was a much more ambitious thing to do and certainly much more complicated. But in in certain ways, I'm a little more proud of peak of view I think, and Marco, you seem to have pounced on this immediately in the happy sense i think it's a bit more polished than vignette is um i think in part because it's a much simpler uh, problem area to work on now i've already got other ideas on how to make this more complex if i so desire and and to enhance things um but it is surprising to me It, it isn't but it is surprising to me that it really and truly uh is one of those things where i got the bare bones of this working within like I don't know a week or something like that, maybe two weeks tops. But the rest of the time has been spent polishing and polishing and polishing and improving and polishing and improving. And one and again, as with all things, what is the 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 saying? The last twenty percent is eighty percent or something like that. You know what I'm thinking of? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and that was very much the case here. And not to say it's perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect by any means, but uh, it is it is definitely. I feel like it's more polished than vignette is slash was, and, and I'm proud of it for that. Uh, behind the scenes, for the nerds, there is no RX Swift in this, which was a deliberate choice. Uh, for the longest time, I didn't think that there was any real need for any of the affordances that RX provides. However, if you if you don't use your beloved hammer but there's something that's vaguely hammer like that's new and shiny and available to you you might choose to use that so there is some combine in here uh there is a couple of there are a couple of screens of swift ui so the onboarding screen screens are swift ui and the purchase screen is swift ui and one of the next things that is on the docket for us to talk about if we don't get sidetracked for the rest of the episode which i hope we don't is to talk about uh our experiences john and me with swift ui so maybe we'll get to that shortly um, but yeah it's it's simple and it's not and it's interesting and i'm pretty proud of it and i hope you the listeners and the two of you like it and i'm sorry the two of you for not saying anything but uh but i wanted you to be able to experience it live with everyone else
2: yeah that's pretty cool i'm actually i'm glad that you did that because it's more fun for the show
1: (laughs) (laughs) i thought it might be yeah
0: that's awesome you ready for your bug report
1: Oh god! Do I do I want to have this publicly or no? Uh, I'm a Mark already
0: um, yeah. It's quick. Uh, what, Mark already got one. That uh, what was yours before? It wasn't a bugger bar. It's just a suggestion.
1: They'll kill the bouncing. Oh,
0: yes, the bounce. Yep. I, I I mostly agree with that. But then again, it is a kids app, so maybe kids will like the fun bounce. You know what I mean? So I'm I go either way on that. Um, the one that I think is, it's, I don't know what you can do about this, but oh, that's always what,
1: dangerous. What, okay.
0: Yeah. The. The gesture recognizer or whatever you're using for sideways swipe to go to the next photo, mm-hmm. it is very unforgiving. So such that when I use my – when I have my phone in my right hand and I'm using my right thumb to go through uh, pictures, like 20% of the time, it when I try to go to the next photo, it takes me out of it because I've moved my thumb down too far. So it's like super sensitive. Mm-hmm. Like if you – go to the left and then deviate from a right to left or left to right motion by by half a centimeter it's like you want to go back and that makes it basically impossible for me to sit there with my one hand and and thumb through them you know what i mean so if you have any control over that gesture recognizer to say leave a lot of slack in there um that would do it one of my favorite ones of those is uh twitterifics uh like display an image from a tweet It does a similar thing where you can just chuck it in any direction and it goes away, which I love, but I never accidentally chuck it. So whatever tolerances they're using will be good. And especially I can imagine for kids, too, if kids actually want to take their little meaty paws, especially if they're very young (laughs) and swipe through the photos, they're going to end up going back to the main screen, which they probably, you know, they'll just be like, oh, well, it went back to the main screen. Now I'll tap on a different picture and it's fine. But I think I think that gesture is too tight.
1: Yeah, so the behind-the-scenes there is that's a standard, what is it, UI page view controller? Marco would know. Um, the standard you know, left-right swipe thing, uh, and that gesture recognizer is all the out-of-the-box stuff. However, I am to your point, John, adding a i swipe down, it would a pan, what is it, a pan gesture recognizer, um, that I have decided what the threshold is. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I've decided what the threshold is between considering it not a swipe and considering it a swipe, a vertical swipe, that is.
2: Why don't you do, um, make it a scroll view that with paging mode enabled?
1: Tell me more. Why do you say that?
2: Because then it'll feel like every single other thing that pages on iOS. Every time you've, in, in fact, so overcast cards on the now playing screen. That that's how this is implemented too. Um, and that's why like those cards feel like any kind of like you know paged scrolling thing in iOS. It's a standard behavior on UI scroll ScrollView. Um, it's called something like you know enable paging or something like that. And uh, and then you and you can do crazy things like you know rip out the gesture recognizer and do your own view or whatever. You probably don't even have to do that. Um, but I I would consider doing that because then it'll it'll feel it'll feel exactly right if you do that.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it feels too far from from right the way it is but yeah i take your point point. and again i mean this is a, this is version one and we'll see what comes of it and we'll see i mean it's funny because when i wrote this i wrote it legitimately just for michaela and then the more i worked on it the more i thought well you know maybe this could be useful to other people with kids and then i was talking to somebody i don't remember if it was Steve or mike or somebody but uh i was talking to somebody and i was like well they said what about like a client i thought well shoot, you're right. What about a client? You could very well, you know, for example, let's say you're working on a design for an iOS app and you want to show a client the designs on their device. Well, on your device, actually, you could lock the app into just an album that just has those screenshots and then you can let them pan, you know, back and forth till their heart's content and know that you're not going to see like you in a bathing suit at the beach or something like that, you know? Right. And so, um, and then, and then somebody else as well pointed out to me, well, what if you know, I'm I'm handing my phone to Marco, and I do want to show him, you know, my vacation pictures. But I don't want him to see anything other than my vacation pictures. Not that you know Marco's the kind of guy who would go spelunking, but you get my point. And and so I, I feel like this app, although it was clearly and unequivocally and unapologetically written for a two year old, at the same time, it was very early that it occurred to me that this could be used for other people as well and other other audiences as well. Uh, I should also add that. With the in-app purchase, if the in-app purchase works, <laughs> that you, can, uh, you can also change the icon. And Stee came up with a series of alternative icons. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for reasons that are not interesting, I, do, I haven't yet put in their, their different names that Stee came up with, but they are quite funny. Uh, there's a business casual icon, which is the same thing basically, but with a bow tie on it. Uh, there's eco-friendly, which is a very very green version of the like literally the color green version of the icon. There's flat and friendly, which is basically a purple uh, behind the regular high color icon. There's high contrast, which is just yellow a uh, yellow background in black uh, ink, if you will, and trendy, which has like a multi pattern gradient, purpley pinky bluey gradient in the back and a uh, flat white little dude in front. So if you Decide to throw me a few bucks, then you can also get an alternative icon, which is something I'd never done before and was kind of a total pain in the butt.
2: You should. So, right now, I'm in the test flight and I haven't done the internet purchase. And so it just pops up a dialogue saying, Sorry, you got to buy it first. You should show me all the icons I can get before I buy it.
1: Oh, that is a very good point. You know, I don't know. I thought I'd planned on doing that and i guess i never did that is a very 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 good point good call marco it it
0: rotates there's like an animated image it rotates through them on that screen that's
1: why that's where it was that's right it was in the the main purchase screen it does show a gif of all the different icons that's why i I, you're exactly oh there it is show it there i know but marco's still right i should still show it there
0: i I have one more thing that's not a bug but just a uh Mm -hmm. aesthetic thing on the on the onboarding screens i feel like your left and right margins are a little tight
1: is then you want more padding on the left and the right
0: yep yep same (laughs) <laughs> fair enough fair this enough. is what you get for not showing it to us right you use Chippa 1.0 and we immediately have all the same components. I'm not upset, yep. no
1: that's fine, I'm fine with that did
0: you, did you see my picture, my screenshot of your app this is, this is what your app looks like to me in limited mode because it won't let me do the purchase. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: nothing but pancakes. pancakes. It's literally nothing but pancakes. Pancakes all the way down.
0: Like that's how far. Like the twenty pictures. That's how far it goes. That's awesome. <laughs> oh man,
1: you really liked your pancake. Pancakes. No, I, was, I have. I use.
0: i started using in the past month or two. Paprika. You know that recipe app
1: yes yes yes
0: and we're putting like all of our like family recipes in it but then every recipe that's not a family recipe has this nice photo in it so now all the things that we cook i have to like get a good looking picture of and it can't look gross next to like the the fancy like blue apron pictures and all the professional bon appetit you know glamour shots of their food it's surprisingly hard to get non-gross looking photos of food like that's why a half of the food photography you see is faked because real food looks gross and b good pictures (laughs) of real food are really hard to make. Nevin Mergen's really good at making them. A, he makes really good food, but B, he has an Instagram account that's just the food that he makes, and he he's all about, like, he's got a big window with a lot of sun and a good, you know, place to set up and very and beautiful plates. I just have him come and photograph my food and also cook <laughs> it for me. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: This is really cool. I, uh, I'm really proud of you for doing all this and making another app and everything. He's like, look, you could have gotten stuck in the trap, which is a very common, easy-to-fall-into trap, of just working on Vignette forever. Mm -hmm. What happens is, you know, you have probably exhausted most of the market for that app that you can.
1: I think so. Mm -hmm. And
2: you could have just kept plowing through and developing more and more edge case features that take more and more effort on your part. You know, like the low-hanging fruit is picked. Now there's a whole bunch of like, you know, medium to small-sized fruit way up high in the tree. And like, (laughs) you could try to go get it and waste a whole bunch of time doing that. But what you're doing now, which is, Trying new app ideas instead is a way better use of your time in all likelihood
1: yeah and i mean i, I don 't expect that this is going to set the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination, but it 's something else it was a an itch I wanted scratched, and you never know like even and the other thing is in, if if I end up in the underscore approach where I mean, I know I'm underselling underscore by by saying it this way. But like, if I have a suite of apps that makes each of which makes a little bit of money, if I have enough apps that make a little bit of money, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Like I don't have to take over the world. I don't have to be overcast. I, I can just have a bunch of things that trickle in, and hopefully, in aggregate, that's not so bad. And and you're right that vignette is. I think mo- has mostly exhausted the customer base that it will probably get. There's a couple of things that are medium-sized fruit that I'm still considering doing for Vignette, but I think largely that that ship has sailed, and it has sailed into the sunset. And I mean, not to... Oh God, I'm already badgering this, but... It
2: has sailed off the end of the earth.
1: <laughs> yeah, it has sailed off the end of the earth. I mean, not to say that I'm abandoning Vignette, but... No, 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 that's, that's not what I'm saying.
2: Or what are you saying? And, and also, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Every app has a certain... Like, it, there's a certain... Worthwhile limit of how much time is worth spending on this app as you know as a developer. Some apps justify continuous improvements, like I think Overcast mostly does because of like yeah, you know it, it has to kind of stay cutting edge with features from competitors and and you know it's it's financially you know successful on its own, so it can justify that. But like that, first of all, it took a long time to get that business model. <laughs> and I went through a lot of them <laughs> that weren't very sustainable. Um, but like, not every app does that. And, if you, and one way to make a living is to have a couple apps or to have one app that does kind of self-sustain indefinitely like that. Another way to make a living that's way more likely to succeed and that way more people have succeeded at is to make a bunch of small apps and just kind of experiment and, and see what sticks and see what doesn't. A critical part of succeeding at that is knowing how much effort to put into something and knowing whether to like keep working on version two of the thing or to kind of let that one coast for a while and start working on the next thing. And yep. Yep. if you can develop that skill, which so far I think you've made a pretty good call. <laughs> I think you you, you did vignette <laughs> for a while, right before WDC, <laughs> like you, you released it, it succeeded. You did a couple of minor updates, but I don't think it really needs much else. I think it's pretty much done, and market its market is pretty much done, especially with all this new, you know, iMessage contact sharing stuff that actually is being sure. deployed everywhere, and all of our friends now have. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I think that is probably done. And the other features you were going to add to it, possibly, you know, things like LinkedIn and Facebook, like, you know, these are like major undertakings that, like, probably wouldn't be worth it. So, like, I, I think you, you have the right idea by not. Starting to go down a huge rabbit hole with some of those bigger features. There's also features that like that you could have taken on that also would have been bad uses of your time. Like you know things like a UI redesign or like basically like repolishing what you already have. Like you know improving the feature set you already have. You could do that forever. Every app like you can you can always keep improving the app. You can always you know modernize something or clean something up or or refactor something or whatever. There's there's infinite potential for time suckage when it comes to making your own apps (laughs) but ideally you figure out like okay this app is worth all the time suckage or this app isn't or none of my current apps are worth a lot of time suckage the way they're performing in the market and or they, they seem pretty stable so this is the time to start something new and so if you keep doing that i think this could be a real thing
1: yeah, I mean that's the hope, and uh, I don't know if either of you guys listen to Analog ever, and if you don't, that's fine. But uh, I, I said on Analog that uh, I don't know a couple of weeks, couple months ago, maybe that I had a couple of things that I was considering doing. Well, guess what? you would now seen one of them, <laughs> and uh, and I have another one that's in the hopper that I have not even filed new project on yet, uh, but. But I have an idea, and and I don't plan on surprising the two of you with that one. I feel I feel like I've am yeah, now one and done with that. But uh, but I have another idea, and I think after I get whatever immediate bug fixes and improvements uh, are necessary out of toddler picks. Oh God, toddler picks! I'm looking at the GitHub repository, and that was the initial code name a, for it. <laughs> will. Nice. Um, and so yeah, my my name the, the vignette was Gravatar Fetcher, and this was Toddler Picks. My names are great. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, once I uh, once I get through the initial uh, stuff. With peak view then uh then I will move on to this next idea and see what I've, see what I've got there
0: so speaking of uh speaking of toddler what, toddler picks mm-hmm Spelled P I C T S, I'm sure.
1: No, John, this, this this is an inside joke between John and me. I am constantly badgering John about how he uses the like eighty year old man version of pics, which is P I C T S, and I keep trying to tell him it's just P I C S these days. I'm,
0: and I, and I keep telling him it's not age related. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I I, I'm, I was wondering how you dealt with that issue because I I started on my second app like a week after my first app was released. Uh, but of course, I didn't have a name, so I made a repo and a project under my own, like you know what you know, working title or whatever. And then at a certain point, I came up with a name, and then I, you know, me being me, I'm like, I've got to, I've got to rename this repo. Oh, I've yeah, got to rename bothered. this Xcode project. <laughs> I've got to rename every class and every you know, like everything that represents the thing. Uh, did you do that or did you do the other thing which apparently is common, which is, yeah, you rename your executable target in Xcode, but you just leave everything else with the working title?
1: Uh, for Vignette, I mostly did the last thing you said, which is almost nothing says Vignette within Vignette and almost everything says Gravatar Fetcher. With Peek of View – uh, the project is called Peek of You. The repo is still called Toddler Pics. Uh, all of the code is within the Toddler Pics folder on you know in GitHub and in Xcode. Um, but I, I, I did more to try to get it to read Peek of You in more places than I did with Vignette.
0: Did you rename the Xcode project, or was, yes. was it always called? So how no, no, did no. you it rename was, it? That's that's my question.
1: I think I just renamed it on the file system. I thought it was a while ago now. Like you just so, in the
0: Finder, just the top level project. I think folder. So
1: I am not confident that's correct. So definitely do that. Do that with uh, the <laughs> with, with source control nearby. I thought that's what I did, but again, I cannot stress enough. I am not confident that I am right about yeah, that. So
0: I, I did the scorched earth thing where I renamed everything. Uh, Xcode has a way inside Xcode, like not from the Finder or anything, but like you're in your project, you can do a rename. Some I've already forgotten because I only did it once, but you can do a rename. Like I think of like the top item in the the sidebar or something. And it will show you what it's going to rename in your project. And it renames no, a lot stuff. No, I think you're stuff.
1: right. That That is what I did. So I just did it again because I have source control nearby and put it back to ToddlerPix and saying, okay, do you want to rename the target? Do you want to rename what it is in InfoP list? But that was mm-hmm. basically it. It didn't actually ask right. for much else. But, th-
0: but that's not all of it, obviously. You do oh, that. No, no. And, then, and then I went through and found all the places where the working title still existed and manually fixed all of them, mostly using Edit. And then I renamed the repo. <laughs> and then I made sure everything was connected. And then I deleted my well, what is it, XC project or whatever file because it was like corrupted or something. And then, of course, you know, again, source control is your friend, right? So yep. <laughs> do this after you're sure you have a clean checkpoint. And I, I even zipped up, you know, uh, compressed a copy of the project. So if I totally hose it, I could just unzip it. <laughs> um, but I did want people to know that uh, if you start an Xcode project under a working title and you, like me, can't live with that once you come up with a name, it absolutely is possible to rename every single thing in your entire project eventually and it will work again.
1: Good to know. Yeah, I I haven't really bothered, but that's all right. So anyways, so we don't need to belabor this anymore. I appreciate you guys indulging me and going on this little journey with me. I have been unreasonably excited about springing this on the two of you and I can't stress enough listeners Obviously, if you were paying close enough attention, you probably could have put this together, but I did not explicitly say anything to uh, to, to John nor Marco about what was going to happen today, about the fact that I was even working on something new. Uh, so this was a surprise for them, and I appreciate everyone uh, going along for the ride.
2: Yeah, this is awesome. Congratulations.
1: Oh, thank you. And uh, this requires iOS 13, too, because I don't care. So sorry yep. if you're on an, an older version. And actually, I should also mention, come to think of it uh swift ui like we talked about maybe we can talk more in a moment uh it's got it's it's got problems but it ain't bad and more importantly i am really digging uh the new ui collection view stuff that came out in 13 uh so this is uh diffable data sources and uh compositional layout the main grid view the main view of the app is is all compositional layout and it that code is so nice it is not that much It is so little code compared to the nightmare it would have been prior to iOS 13. Uh, I really, really love that new stuff. And uh, hopefully final note, if you've never used Guided Access, uh, this app is expressly designed to work with Guided Access. And so the idea being that when you turn on Guided Access by triple-clicking the the side button, if you have a Face ID phone, or I believe it's still triple-clicking the home button on home button phones, Uh, Among other things, Peak of View will automatically make that top toolbar go away, which means you literally, there's no settings button to press. The only thing you can press is on a photo. And so if you're looking at this and thinking, well, this is all well and good, but then people can go into settings and do stuff and make bad, make bad things happen. The whole purpose behind it is that it is assumed that you are willing to use guided access in order to limit that. Uh, and originally, I didn't even realize that I could tell when guided access was on or off, and so I had this like god awful like triple triple tap gesture in order to get to settings. The idea being that a toddler wouldn't be able to figure that out, and even an adult probably wouldn't be able to figure that out. And I hated it from day one. And then somebody, maybe it was, it was either. Jelly or underscore, I think. I forget who it was, but somebody pointed out to me, no, 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 you can figure out when guided access is on or off. And so once I did that, you know, sunshine rained came down from the clouds and shone directly on top of me, and everything was good and right in the world. So uh, check out guided access if you've not done that yet.
2: We are sponsored this week by Collide, user focused security. Many of today's fastest-growing companies owe their success in part to a culture that centers around transparency, personal responsibility, and most importantly, employee happiness. But companies also need to secure their endpoints, and so they often do so at the expense of those values. Too often, we've seen teams install intrusive management and security products on their employees' devices, and that makes everybody miserable. At Collide, they believe you don't need to spy on your users or cripple their devices to meet your compliance and security goals. So they launched a product that integrates with your Slack team and messages your users directly when their Mac, Windows, or Linux devices are not up to spec. Your users will receive clear instructions about what is wrong and step-by-step instructions that will fix it. They can even confirm in real time that they've resolved the problem right where they are in Slack. So try Collide's new product for free for 30 days for your entire fleet by visiting Collide.com. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com. Collide.com. Thank you so much to Collide for sponsoring our show.
1: Uh, do we want to talk about SwiftUI? Do we want to talk about Google's video sharing bug? Swift
2: UI. We're near that topic now.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. So like I said earlier, um, the onboarding on this app and the pre-purchase uh, page, if you will, screen are both Swift UI or there's two pages of onboarding and one, the, the pre-purchase uh, screen is all Swift UI. And the reason I did that is because I'll be the first to tell you, I am really bad at UI kit. Like I can make things work, but it does not come naturally to me. Uh, I do like storyboards. I'm a weirdo. I do use storyboards. I am i have reached an understanding with auto layout it's not really my favorite thing in the world but mostly i can make it do what i want but my friend Steve had sent these mock-ups for the onboarding screens uh, you know completely of his own volition like i never had asked him to do it and they to me anyway compared to what i had had they looked incredible and so i was looking at this thinking i uh, uh, oh 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 no this is going to be stack views all the way down and that does not seem good and so i thought well the onboarding screen uh, screens and the pre-purchase screen are mostly static so maybe swift ui will work <laughs> and actually i'm pretty happy with it and for this sort of thing it's been mostly good there've definitely been some warts it's also been making me want to upgrade to catalina on my imac pro so i can get that sweet sweet live preview um but all in all, I, it hasn't been too bad. The problem, that, well, I have many problems with SwiftUI, Swift but the biggest problem I have with SwiftUI is that when something goes wrong, and we've talked about this on and off on, a lot in the past, when something goes wrong, it often goes wrong in very far away places from where the problem actually is. So let's say I have a 100-line view. Maybe the error will be reported on line 20, but the actual error is on like li- line 88, And that is extremely frustrating. Additionally, the errors are often completely not actionable in any way, shape, or form. And that is extremely annoying. But all told, I was able to go from a blank page to probably 80% of the way to what Steve had sent me as a mock-up. In like an hour. And if I, me, Casey, I'm not saying other people, but if Casey had done that using just straight up vanilla UI kit, I would still be working on it to this day, like two weeks later, because I'm just really not good at that sort of thing. So I do, with many asterisks and daggers and double daggers, I do like and recommend Swift UI for this sort of thing, where it's a fairly static screen that not that much is happening. I, Don't know if I could really, in good conscience, recommend it for stuff where there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of different uh, things and user interactions happening. John, though, you probably have done even more SwiftUI than me at this point. So any thoughts you would like to add or corrections you would like to make?
0: I can't believe you were doing it without the live previews. It seems like it would have gone a lot faster for you. Well, here's (laughs) the
1: thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I was doing it in part with the live previews, but I was doing it on the Adorable, which is on Catalina. And the adorable, it's so adorable, bless its little heart, but it was choking on trying to do this. Like it was just unbearably slow to the point that doing the you know build, run, try, stop, build, run, try, stop, dance on the iMac Pro was actually more fun and, well, not fun, but more, less infuriating than just waiting for the poor adorable to melt itself as it was trying to figure all this out.
0: No, and I didn't realize how computationally expensive the preview is because oh know. yeah i
1: mean either it doesn't seem like it should be that bad but oh it was only adorable it although was it
0: does it I, I one of the things that annoy me about swift ui is it it's so it's so timid maybe from the earlier versions of it like in terms of the live preview if anything changes it's like oh i better stop pause this live preview because it seems like you're changing yep. a lot of code it's mm-hmm. like just just keep trying like i I got a lot of cores just you know whatever like on this particular (laughs) machine i don't want to have to keep hitting no no resume resume the preview yeah no i know i broke it but i'll fix it in like 20 characters (laughs) like just keep just keep trying just constantly try to get the preview working because i hate having to go with i the worst thing is i hate looking at it like i just changed that why didn't oh it paused again (laughs) (laughs) you're you're wondering what i'm talking about it's there's a live preview where you write so you've seen this in wjc videos but it's a live preview where you're writing the code and you get to see what your view is going to look like in another little section of the window in real time as you change things so that's that's the promise that hey you don't have to keep like write a bunch of code build and run your app go to the screen look at the thing and then repeat like you know you could do it as you're typing but of course as you're typing you're you know you're making your file syntactically invalid as you're in the middle of typing stuff And when that happens, there's some sort of threshold where it decides that you've changed a lot and your code is now invalid and I can't update this preview with your now invalid code. So I'm just going to pause it. And it never, as far as I'm aware, unpauses itself. It just says when you're ready, when you think you've gotten to a point where your code works again, hit the resume button and it'll show it. So that's that's a. Annoyed me a little bit, but you know, the tools are young, and, and for the most part, it hasn't crashed on me. Uh, my- and, and I
1: should add and interrupt I apologize when that does work. I mean, even there were occasions where the adorable would stop being an idiot and would actually work pretty well. When that does work, I cannot stress enough how fast it makes developing a view in Swift UI. And if you're not a developer, you have to understand like the the normal way of doing things is. At best, you're looking at a wireframe or like uh, wireframe doesn't mean anything to a regular human. You're looking at like a fake version of your screen and you're dragging things around and thinking, okay, this is probably right. And then you go to run it and you're either then you have to build your entire app and you need to install it either on the simulator running on the computer, which is pretty fast, or install it on your phone, which is kind of fast. And then you need to navigate to that screen, unless you have some sort of shortcut you've built for yourself to get there. And then you need to try the thing you were just trying. And they, oh crap, I need it like four pixels the other way. Okay, stop the <laughs> simulator, go back to where you were, try to fiddle with things in the storyboard, you know, in the visual view, or perhaps do it in code if you're more like Marco uh, in one way or another. Make your change. Okay, build it. Wait a few seconds. Or for Marco, it's probably more than just a couple of seconds uh, because your app is so big. That's not a slight at all. Um, <laughs> you, you, know, you, you take the time to build the app. You install it again. You go, oh, crap. It wasn't four. It was three pixels. I needed three pixels. And then you do this whole dance again. Whereas with SwiftUI, not only can you do this live as you're coding it because it has like a fake simulator within the Xcode window, which is what John was describing moments ago. But it's doing it as you type. You know, it's 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 amazing when it works and it can make things so fast. And what's really clever is that you can you you can make multiple like previews. So you can have a preview always displayed that's in dark mode as as well as light mode. And so you can see the two of them side by side and see exactly how the changes you're making affects both versions of the app. When it works, it is Um, And this is actually true of pretty much all of SwiftUI. When any of SwiftUI and all of SwiftUI is is working, when it's firing on all cylinders, it is amazing. In so many ways, actually, it just occurred to me. In so many ways, I feel like SwiftUI is my old BMW in that when it works, (laughs) holy crap, it was great. It doesn't work that great a lot of the time, though, and that's the problem. So I apologize, John, for interrupting. Please continue.
0: I think a even better analogy, and what I was thinking when I was doing it, of course, is based on my background, is it's like web dev. Uh, web dev, yeah, people yeah, yeah. are used to the idea that you can be writing in one window and see the updates in the other. And you can, you know, I, I use BBEdit for a lot of my web dev, and BBEdit has a live HTML preview. And so as you're editing the HTML in your BBEdit window, the window right next to it, it updates in real time. And it, it never pauses because HTML is very forgiving and it's not compiled like a language or whatever. And it's just so nice. And then the other, you know, the the non live version of web dev is still write a bunch of stuff, save, Command Tab, Command R to reload, you know, like the worst case, it's still 100 times faster than building your app and shipping it to the simulator or a phone or whatever and then navigating to a screen and all that stuff. So SwiftUI has always felt like web dev, right down to, you know, it's like you're writing CSS for it. It's a bunch of blocks. There, are, you know, the h stacks and v stacks are a little bit different primitives than you have block level elements and CSS. But it's similar, where you have padding and frame sizes and alignments, and it's very web devy. You know, right down to the tools. So that that obviously, when I saw SwiftUI, WWC, I was very attracted to it because I'm like, this. You know, at that point, I had never done any of the you know, quote unquote traditional you know, app kit or UI kit stuff or whatever. I'm like, this looks like web dev. This is something that. I'm already familiar with and comfortable working in this balance of like, well, is it a GUI builder, like interface builder? Not really, but I've been building quote unquote GUIs for, you know, my whole career by typing text. But I'm also used to not just like we talked about, you know, my frustrations with all the layout. It's like, well, you can just do it all in code, but that's so distant. That's like you write a bunch of code and try to visualize in your head what it's gonna do, and then you have the whole build and run and install cycle or whatever to get to the point where you see it and then you cycle back and that's a longer cycle than sort of a live preview or a very fast preview and what casey said is totally true with like you know dark mode and different data like you 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 essentially provide it with like a in web dev terms fixture data or whatever like you can you can have a fixed set of data or a simulated set of data or real data if you can pull it from the preview things which is also possible sometimes by the way so you can see what it looks like with different content depending on your app this has different amounts of usefulness and how far you want to go and you can do that on a per you know sort of sub view basis so you know apple recommends building swift ui from your like most primitive view upwards so like if you have a page with a bunch of you know table view cells in it, and each one of those cells has an image and it has a picture and has a bunch of badges or whatever you can build that up from its smallest unit and each one of those little miniature views can itself, you can just work on it in isolation and get that working in its own little preview. And then the next step up is you embed that in a bunch of other things, and that has a preview, and you work your way up to the big screen that has, you know, everything in a preview. And again, kind of like HTML, kind of like CSS, you can break it up into pieces and break your problem down into composable pieces and then put them together. And yeah, it's, it's a very compelling experience. My experience setting aside the tool foibles, using it for my app, which I'll... My app is getting close to being done. I'll probably in the next, probably sometime this month, we'll we'll talk about it and I'll ship it. Um, but and not to give too much away about the app, but I'm using it. I'm not using it everywhere. Uh, I'm you know like a couple of my Windows well are just you know plain old AppKit, which I'm now familiar with and became very comfortable with. And it, it's so clear that AppKit has like a so many more features than SwiftUI, which makes sense because AppKit is you know 30 years old, whatever the heck it is, like from the from the next days. And SwiftUI has, like you know been out for less than a year or whatever, um, but like the the when using SwiftUI, the main difference I found is I'll often want to do something, and you know, and I'm using SwiftUI in a slightly non-traditional way, which will become clear when I actually want to talk about my app. And I'm like, how do you how do you do that in SwiftUI? And it, in almost every case, it was pretty easy to figure out how to do it in AppKit because AppKit has like a delicate method for everything. <laughs> everything you can <could> possibly imagine <laughs> and swift ui really has sort of a straight and narrow it's like you're gonna have buttons and controls and views and stacks and padding and scrolls and like all those things are fine I was like but what if i want to do something a little bit different what if i want to be able to do a modifier click on a button what about drag and drop what about context menus what if I want to do multiple of those things in a single area? And so if you guys like, whoa, 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 hold on. A button is a thing that you click and does a thing. You don't want to get any fancier than that, do you? And it's like, I can't do. <laughs> and AppKit's like, sure, fine, whatever, subclass it, override, you know, set up a delegate. There's a million different things. various different ways. Like, you have control over everything in SwiftUI. Like, that's the one thing I want to see from SwiftUI and the next WWc is way more like hooks into the system so you know these oh, abilities preach. are there you know if you're doing something normal where you just have like normal controls normal windows normal views that you click around in it's pretty straightforward plus or minus the bugs which you know of which there are plenty right but if you want to do weird stuff it really fights you and there are ways to say okay i give up uh just embed an ns view right here like you know never mind never mind swift ui but once you start doing that you're like, "Well, why am I using SwiftUI again? Like why am I I'm trying to make like a skeleton and then every single actual view is an, is an NS view that uh, you know, I control the traditional way. It's not it's not ideal." All right. So in the end I was mostly able to beat it into submission and get it to do what I want, but boy, it was not straightforward. Like I at many points I thought to myself, "If I had not used SwiftUI for this project and instead had done, you know, this exact task in AppKit, i would be done by now <laughs> I, I thought that many many times which may not actually be true because i'm not you know i'm never good at AppKit either i've only done one dinky little app right but in the course of trying to figure out how to do all these different things in swift ui i very quickly found out the AppKit way to do them <laughs> and i'm like well i found the AppKit way because you know there's many more answers on stack overflow and it's longer it's been around longer you know like there's less you know misleading or false data because swift ui has changed a lot even in the short time since it's been announced i'm like But that doesn't help me. I need to find the Swift UI way to do it. Is there a Swift UI way to do it? Is this even possible? How do I arrange things? There is one or two things that I couldn't do without bugs in Swift UI. Like a lot of them are cosmetic bugs where like some visual state will get messed up. And it's like, well, that's, I'm doing it right. But every once in a while it gets confused and it would like eventually reset itself. If you did some action and it would be like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, then that thing shouldn't be visually there and it would get rid of it. I'm like, I can't, I can't use that feature in swift ui because that bug is going to look like my bug even if it's not my bug it's just you know swift ui being weird right so uh, setting that aside i did eventually find a way to do everything i wanted in swift ui but i leaned heavily on AppKit because swift ui on, on the mac anyway it's just a view you do have to put it somewhere so it's in a window and the window is an AppKit window. And so I get to use all of the AppKit functionality for the window. It's just that that window has a view in it that is a Swift UI view, which may or may not have one or more NS views shoved in it. And, you know, so it's, it's a little bit of a, a weird hybrid mongrel. But overall, I think it was a... I had a similar experience to Casey where it's like, I think I had... I got the notion to do this app one day and I fired it up and it took me like maybe made a new project it took me like 15 minutes to figure out like enough of the core functionality to get like the data i needed i still had nothing on the screen but i'm like all right well now i just need to display this data somewhere so i was you know let me do swift ui it was so fast to get that data into a swift ui view and just like like if you'd seen me do it you'd be like you're gonna be done with this app in three days and like casey you found out well you know there's there's a million edge cases and you're gonna be fighting with a lot of things and when you you want to do that easy thing like i'm just going to add this minor feature and you realize oh how how do i even do that in swift ui there is how (laughs) how do i do that at all and then you start googling or whatever so but i got up and running in the preview and then up and running for real in the app so fast i was like this i I couldn't believe it you know it it seemed like i was going to be done in a matter of a week uh so you know again like web dev swift ui has that the advertised experience of that you can get something on the screen that looks vaguely like the app that you want it to be very quickly is true. And the thing, the, the one sort of, not weakness, but like a characteristic of a lot of the Swift UI tutorials, you know, I've seen many of them on the web and many travels trying to find out how to, how to do these weird esoteric things is most of them focus heavily on getting things up on the screen. And real apps, that's part of it. But real apps also say, yeah, but how does that stuff all connect together? How do, you know, how do you, when you perform an action here, how does it cause a thing over there? How does the data thread through? How, you know, like, can I click this? Can I right click, especially on the Mac? Can I, you know, command click it? Is there a context menu? How does it interact with the other things? Can I select it and do something with selection? Is there a toolbar? Is there, like, all of those things. It's so different than, hey, you know, like a WDC demo, I have this, blob of data that's like just a, JSON, a fixed JSON blob for the purposes of a WWC demo and I just want to d- display it in a beautiful thing. That's so easy to do but that's a unidirectional dump data down the top of a giant funnel and have it display into a thing. If that data has to be live and the app has to be interactive, it gets much harder. So there is a second level of tutorial that talks about data threading but I feel like the, the final level is like action threading. Like the whole, you know, the equivalent of like the responder chain and focus and all the things that Mac apps deal with that are integral to AppKit. most of the swift ui stuff glosses over like because they kind of like kind of like this came up when we were talking about it earlier kind of like react in the web thing one of reacts uh, heretical things is that it mixes together javascript and html because it wants them to be close together so it's like oh when someone clicks a button here's the action for that button right here with the button swift ui is like that if you make a button you put the action right there with the button the question is what do you put in that action Does that action just call a method on some data that was passed down and or observed or in the environment? Do you implement the action right in there with the button? How do you build a scalable, well-factored app that actually does things by threading your logic and actions and controls and state all through these different views? And that, like React, is actually surprisingly hard to do because you have to decide who owns what state, where is it kept, how much state is, is brought down, what's in the environment, what's not. Those decisions and these trivial apps, like you're not getting you're not getting any help from these these, you know, demos. Even the one that Apple just put up, which is a fairly sophisticated demo. It's like, yeah, but in the end, this is a very simple application. Like I can't imagine making like a real Mac app like you know, Acorn or something, like an actual complicated app with features and palettes and menus and and a big canvas and all that stuff with Swift UI without coming up with a fairly solid plan about how to distribute your your state and business logic and thread everything through and keep all the actions sane or whatever. So anyway, I I think I see a lot of promise in it. I enjoyed the experience, but I was also super frustrated by the limitations. I'll go into much more detail eventually when I talk about my app.
1: (laughs) One thing I would like to jump on is what you were saying about not really having access to like AppKit or the system in general. And that is so unbelievably true and frustrating. So a really great example of this is uh, when I use the the Swift UI view for purchase, and if the purchase fails, which apparently it's done at least once for John and maybe for everyone, who knows? Hey, uh, when, when there's an issue, I wanted to put up an alert saying, hey, there was an issue and just a standard UI alert controller, the same, you know, the same dialog box that you would get in any app. And to do that in Swift UI uh, maybe I just have been reading the wrong advice. But apparently the like blessed way to do this is to do, what is it, like an on appears or something like that that uh which is which is at the end of your view so basically it's kind of like a uh, you know view did load or if you or viewed will appear i guess i should say and uh upon that it will check a state flag that is part of your model that it will then uh if the state if that state flag is true then it will go ahead and show the alert which just feels Friggin' gross, like oh yeah. It's
0: it's. I did something very similar for drag and drop support, but it's like really, Uh, it's gonna like because when you're laying out your view, you feel like I'm describing what the view is. Here's the alignment. Here's the padding. Here's what's in it. Here's how they're nesting each other. But you're also describing show this thing, show this thing, show this thing, conditional on these five state variables. It feels weird, doesn't it? Like it doesn't feel like logic. It feels like you're describing like what you're describing is the superset of all things that could ever appear on the screen. And then a bunch of them are gated by state variables. And then you just twiddle the state variables somewhere very distant. And then the thing appears and then the state variable goes off and it disappears or whatever. And it's a very strange way to work.
1: Yeah. Like, I think I can get, I can get through that in general. So like, let's say you were showing like an empty view versus a populated view and having like a state variable be the switch for that. Like, I think I'm okay with that, but, um, um, you know there there was a both with the case of showing an alert like there's just no real easy or clean way to do that and uh additionally, like I wanted to have uh the purchase screen dismiss itself if it worked, which maybe nobody will ever see but uh I wanted it to dismiss itself, and that is also in on appear as a flag, and then it's going to like dig into its presentation mode which you need to bind as an environment variable like it's just some of the stuff that feels like it should be easy is really really hard and that's the way it is with everything right like with swift ui the hard stuff is easy sort of but the easy stuff seems to be really hard whereas it's the exact reverse with ui well, kit or perhaps App i kit.
0: mean i feel like it's just the paradigm is that what i just described is a you know a fairly reasonable description of of the difference between declarative and imperative like we're all in an imperative mindset where we're like i want to call an api that makes an alert appear because that's imperative exactly. programming mm-hmm. and that's what ui kit and app is but declarative is like no you don't call an api that makes an alert appear you just describe this scene as a state machine and say if this state is true then there's an alert and if the state is not true there's not now Swift UI isn't strictly declarative because, for example, in the action of a button, you can start imperative programming. And you just in fact that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna call a bunch of methods on your app or whatever. Like you're gonna do a thing. The button performs an action on your model, on your you know, something's happening, right? You can do that right there, and there you now you're in, in imperative mode again. But for elements that appear on the screen, a lot of the stuff is, you know, declarative, like they say it's gonna be, and it's a different way of thinking. Again, same thing with React, like on the web you have to change your mindset a little bit. And it's very often frustrating when, especially if you don't know that like the on appear or whatever, like with the drag and drop stuff, I thought it was impossible to do this thing, but there was like, there was like a validate drop, uh, drop, entered, drop, exit, perform drop. And I was, I was doing all these things and validate drop seemed to like had a Boolean, uh, return value that it seemed like it was just being ignored. And I did drop, entered and drop exited. And I was trying to do declarative stuff to change the cursor using app kit because i'm like well swift ui doesn't have a way to change the cursor as far as i can tell so let me just in one of these things where drop enter drop they all had like callbacks I'm like oh in the callback i'll just change the cursor but nope that doesn't work like i, I call <laughs> the the correct api to change the cursor but whatever it's like something else in swift ui was saying no 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 i control the cursor you know you can try to set the cursor but i never even saw it blink to my cursor i always just changed like, the other one so drop updated was the correct thing, which again. You know, it took a callback, and in the callback, you did this weird thing about returning a drop proposal that, didn't proposal that influenced the cursor. And it's just it's just such a different way of, of working, whereas it takes you two seconds to find out how to change the cursor on the Mac with NSCursor. cursor. It takes much longer to figure out how to do it on a drag-and-drop with the right... I don't even know what they're called. What are those little things called? They're not delegate methods. The little, like, on a on a peer or whatever. whatever. I don't know if there's a Swift UI name for those, but anyway... Those are all new. They have all different names. They have all different verb tenses. And they are factored differently because they're in a a declarative API instead of an imperative one. So a lot of your sort of uh, muscle memory or uh, idea of what this thing will be called, it's not called that in SwiftUI if it exists at all. So, yeah, there's a learning curve. Um, Maybe for people who are, you know, just being born now by the time SwiftUI is mature and they learn it as their first API – it will be a really good fit with whatever web technologies are around you know. by the time they get to that age. And it will be fit their mental model better. But it's definitely quite a change from AppKit.
1: Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I think some of this – well, a lot of this perhaps is my own ignorance. But again, I mean it, it's such a yin and yang, right? When it works well, God, it is so nice. It is so, so nice. And then it just falls apart and you hate yourself. So, Marco, you're really enthusiastic about trying this, right?
2: <laughs> I mean – yeah i I have high hopes for the future of SwiftUI. I I, it, I i admit that it it does turn me off to a large degree because of how different it is. Because it is, you know, it, as you mentioned, because it is like you know, declarative instead of imperative. It's a, it's such a different style of coding. Anything, let alone UIs, which are so often like so imperative. So. I think it's going to be a while. First of all, before it is even mature enough that it is a reasonable thing to use most of the time, it's, that's going to take oh, at least great. a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, th- there are going to be certain tasks where it's just worse, and there and there are certainly some that are that are it's going to be better for. But it's a totally different way of thinking about things, and you can't do things. You know, you mentioned earlier like certain things that are really easy in the old way are really hard in swift ui and it turns out a lot of those things are really common needs for ui programming on ios <laughs> so yeah. so i don't it might never be better or it might always be this kind of like weird alternative thing that you can do if you want to but you don't but not like not, but everyone's not doing it right like it, it could always stay there uh, it could be more you know, more practical on some platforms than others. Like, watchOS, where it began, it's probably easier because it's a simpler, uh, you know, problem space there, and also, the alternative watch kit is horrible. So, it, it's a really, it, it's a much easier sell on watchOS, I think. But like on iOS and on macOS, where you already have very mature UI frameworks that work in, I think, more straightforward ways, you know, if not, you know, they might be more complicated in certain ways, but they work in ways that all of us programmers already know how to deal with. We already know how to how to deal with UIKit. We already know how to deal with AppKit. And if we don't, and we start looking up help articles and stuff, it'll work in a way that we at least are familiar with. It'll it'll work in in like a, a familiar syntax or or mode of doing things, as opposed to like Swift UI is it, it's almost like. <laughs> it's, it's like learning a different language that also has a different alphabet and that also isn't even spoken by humans. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> okay. So if we're learning like, you know, the the, the pig alphabet <laughs> that is spoken only by pigs, it's like, okay, we have a lot to learn here, a lot to relearn, a lot to unlearn. This is going to be difficult, <laughs> right? And so I, I think SwiftUI is going to be like that, where it, because it is such a different paradigm than what all of us are taught and because... Certain common things are extremely complex and to some degree might always be. And because it's year one and we're already having to frequently do little hacks that basically break out of the declarativeness of it, Or we do like those little state variables that kind of tarnish the purity of this model in such a way that makes you think like maybe this isn't the right model all the the time.
0: The state variables aren't tarnishing it. That's how you're supposed to use it. It's just a different mindset.
2: True. But like it may, because it makes certain things feel kind of bad or sloppy or like hacks. uh, This, this is probably going to prove to be a really cool tool sometimes, but it might not be the universal like next big way to do to do UIs. It might never reach that state. It might it might just be that
0: UIs are actually just much easier to do declaratively or imperatively. I, God, I can't get them straight. Well, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the name I think the name is part of the problem because it's Swift UI and it makes you think like oh this is going to be what I do to make my entire user interface. But it, if it had been called Swift Layout, that might have been a better name. I know data is kind of threaded through it, but like I view it right now as like it's its competitors is uh you know auto layout or storyboards like it's it's not doing my data model for me we know that's a whole separate thing. It's basically oh so you want to you want your data to appear somewhere on the screen. You're gonna make a a view, right? Well that's what Swift UI does. It just makes views. It doesn't even make windows on the Mac. Like it's not even at that level. It just makes views. Uh and if you're gonna make a view, you could make it as a storyboard or a zib or nib or whatever. Uh, you can do it programmatically or whatever. And like I think of Swift UI as, imagine if you can make your UIs programmatically, but the syntax was a billion times nicer and you got live previews. That's what it's like. Like, it pretend interface Builder didn't exist and you were just doing all your UIs programmatically in Objective-C or Swift. If you're good at that and you know all the APIs already, you can kind of visualize what it's going to look like. But imagine if those APIs were so much more uh, like terse, not so wordy, not with a million different arguments where you could really just express what you want in a very concise structured way and see it in real time with multiple previews and with different data and different, you know, scale factors and sizes and dark mode and all that other stuff. That's Swift UI, right? And the, the, and it's not doing the whole rest of your application and you do have to figure out how to thread your data through it and everything, but it's not really doing, especially on the Mac, your whole app for you. I think you can do uh, most of the pieces. I think you can make when menus, context menus, uh, you know, menu bar icons, uh, but the windows still have to be, you know, NS windows or whatever, and you can put views inside them. And, like, it's it's a weird mishmash. I don't know if SwiftUI wants to be more than Swift Layout. Even if it was just a Swift Layout, I think it's a strong competitor to doing it programmatically or using auto layout or, you know, using springs and struts and doing it. Because, like, the, the GUI Builder way of doing it with Interface Builder is similar to swift ui only in swift ui you only touch like the source code again like web dev you touch the source code you don't do web dev except for in like the bad old days of like page mill or whatever by touching the web page you touch the source code and then you look at the web page to see how your thing came out and it's like kind of like a real time thing right in interface builder you touch the actual interface in storyboards or nibs but there's also a code part that's over there that might influence it and you can you know adjust that balance or whatever so i think I think SwiftUI has a bright future in that realm. It's just not clear to me how far it will try to expand. Like, is there a SwiftUI equivalent of a window on the Mac? Does it go that far? Or does it always stay as a tool for making really cool views?
1: Additionally, uh, something I keep wondering is if you can put a SwiftUI view inside of a view controller. So view controller is like the old way, the standard way, I should say, of presenting stuff on a screen. And you can put SwiftUI views into view controllers. So if that's the case, and if that's how this all is held together for the live preview stuff, couldn't we just live preview view controllers? Like, is this an artificial limitation to force us to use SwiftUI to get the new sexy like live preview stuff? Or is there something legitimately different about SwiftUI that makes that compulsory? I just, I can't help but wonder... What, it can't we have this for you know UI Kit and App Kit stuff? Can not we have these live previews for UI Kit and App Kit stuff? I feel like it's easy for me to say because I'm not the one writing all this, but it feels like we should be able to. And if so, why can't we? Because that would be amazing. I want well, that. Place. I mean,
0: on UI Kit, maybe. Uh, but th- think about it again. Uh, I'm assuming one of the reasons or the main reason that the Mac doesn't let you zoom in on Mac UIs and Xcode is because no part of the app ui drawing code ever expected to be zoomed in right <laughs> yeah, whereas yeah. UIKit was built with that in mind those type of limitations are the type of thing that make me think like app never expected to be live previewed that said do you remember the big uh what are these switches called maybe marker will know the uh are they called uh guillotine switches or scissors switches you know that like in the in the like uh you know frankenstein movie where like oh yeah i think they're called knife switches yeah, there you go. That's what it is. Knife switches. Like it takes the big handle and it's got like Y shaped and you switch it up like that and like the you know, the machine turns on or whatever. There used to be a little icon that looked like that button in Project Builder, and you'd be in Interface Builder, uh, which was a separate app then, and you'd be laying out your thing, and then you'd hit that little switchy button and it would pop up like a live window of the UI that you just made that you could interact with. But it wasn't really live, like it wasn't your whole app running. It was just essentially the nib instantiated enough so you could mess with it a little bit and see how it worked and see like the the layout or whatever which is strange because interface builder itself already looks almost like that and you can kind of interact with it right an interface builder and i think there still is a preview feature like that somewhere but it's not the same as swift ui the reason you can do it in swift ui is swift ui is, is so focused on the view like it's so like there it it's so controlled about uh, like the inputs and the outputs, the only way you can influence is with environment and state and then bindings back and forth between the different levels. And that's it. It's not like you can just, you know, like you can with a nib, just grab a reference to it from arbitrary code and just screw with it in your code at any point based on any logic you want, right? It seems to me that to actually do a live preview of like a view controller, you'd have to run your whole app because you're, something in your app could yeah. have a reference to that view controller, could dig into that thing and pull out the view and pull one of your controls and disable it. How are you going to simulate that? You've just got to run the app or a Swift UI doesn't allow that stuff. So I feel like you're never going to see the the same level of fidelity with uh, even with UIKit.
1: All right. So Google Photos had a very big oops that happened, I think, around Thanksgiving, but has just been admitted to now. And I didn't have a chance to look into this because I've been a little busy. But my understanding is, if I'm not mistaken, that... If you requested a download of either like all of your videos and photos or some of your videos and photos, there's a small chance you would get somebody else's stuff. Oops. So, or some, some of somebody else's stuff. And somebody else could get your stuff. And somebody else could get your stuff. And that's, uh, that's pretty big oops. Not feeling good about that. So that, is really unfortunate, really sad, and I don't know what to make of that because I am still using Google Photos as one of my photo backup, well, quasi-backup strategies. Uh, John, I know you're using it last I heard. How do you feel about this?
0: I put this in here not to, like, dance on Google's and say, ah, oh, Google had a problem, aren't they so bad? Just to, like, this is, this is part of living in the world where we have these cloud services, and I thought it was just worth talking about at that level. You know, so we have recommended many times uh hey you know if you have something that you care about don't just leave it on your computer that's in your house because your computer could break your house can burn down you could get robbed like all sorts of things that can happen if you really care about that information you have to have it elsewhere that elsewhere is usually in addition to maybe having a backup copy at a friend's house or a relative's house or something uh a better system that is easier to keep up to date with is to use one of the many cloud services for photos you can push your photos up to apple's icloud photos thing you can use google photos you can use a data agnostic backup service like frequent sponsor backblaze or any other cloud backup services but the whole idea is you're going to take your data and you're going to send it over wires out of your house to a computer that somebody else owns Uh, and part of the deal with that is you are shifting responsibility for that to somebody else, which mostly you want to do. It's like it's their problem to make sure that their data center doesn't burn down and that they have redundant backups and all that stuff. And all I got to worry about is that we don't have simultaneous disasters. If their data center burns down, hopefully it doesn't burn down the same day my house burns down, right? And that's how you <laughs> protect. If you have three cloud backup services now, multiple data centers need to burn down in the same day your house burns down and the chances get lower and lower that you're actually going to lose anything. But part of that deal is also... Uh, you know, oh, if I screw up and accidentally pour water in my computer, Casey, uh, that's my bad, (laughs) but, but I was responsible for that data. So, oh, well, well, if Google accidentally pours water in their computer, that's their bad. And that screwed up your data. Every time you put your data into someone else's bucket and they're responsible for taking care of it, their mistakes can affect your data down to, and including, oops, I accidentally send your photos to somebody who's not you. They're not doing it on purpose, just like Casey's not spilling the water into his computer on purpose. But people <laughs> make mistakes. Companies are made of people. So this, I feel like, is part of the bargain that we make when we use cloud services, which is you are now vulnerable to the mistakes of other people. Just like you are protected from your mistakes by giving your data to them, now you are vulnerable to their mistakes. So I, I still strongly recommend cloud services, even knowing that they could accidentally delete all my photos, give them to somebody else, scramble them up or whatever. They are, you know, they're just like any other entity made up of people. They're not a magical AI. They're not an infallible computer in the cloud. It's just a bunch of people running a bunch of their own computers just like you're a person running your computer. In the same way that you can screw up, they can screw up. Hopefully, they have more controls, they have more people, they have more money, they have more time, they are more incentivized to take care of their stuff uh, perhaps than you are because you don't have time to be a full-time data warden for all the stuff in your house. But... (laughs) that risk still exists. And I think this is a perfectly good trade-off, despite things like this happening. Obviously, you should talk to your cloud providers or think about them and say, do they do this all the time? Are they constantly losing my data, deleting my data, giving it to other people? Are they intentionally selling my data or doing other mean things? You know, That's something you have to deal with. I think Google is still a pretty good steward of the data it hold, holds. But every once in a while, something like this will happen. Uh, and I don't You know, like I'm still totally willing to take this bargain. I I don't see this and think, oh my god, I gotta get my photos out of the cloud. I think, well, you know, that kind of stuff happens. If it happens every month with Google, I'll think more strongly about perhaps taking my stuff out of the Google cloud. But once in however many years, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, when it comes to like
2: evaluating cloud services and providers and and, I mean, if she's any any like modern big tech choice. You kind of have to take like the long term average with stuff like this. Like, you know, Apple has lots of problems in in lots of different areas, and we still stick with them because the long term average is pretty good. Um, you know, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, all the tech giants—they all have like they have occasional issues, they have occasional bugs or security holes or just crazy things that just go wrong or quality issues or whatever. They all have these. It's impossible to run a giant web service and be 100% perfect, to never have an issue, to always be up. like to, It's never, you're never going to find anybody who's totally perfect. And it's one of those things like, if you instantly drop and permanently leave anybody who who makes a mistake once in a while, it's kind of like swearing off airlines every time you have a poor experience on one. It's like, you're going to run out of airlines pretty fast. <laughs> and There's only so many and you're going to have a hard time flying anywhere and you're mostly just hurting yourself. like If you drop Google for this like their record is really good with thing with security over time they do a bunch of creepy crap i'm not gonna say anything nice about them on that front but when it comes to like this is a security bug and their record on security bugs over time is really good so this was a one-time fluke thing i wouldn't judge them long term based solely on that now if they have a pattern of like neglect and sloppiness and they start failing to do things like this on a regular basis, or you know, they start having more security problems over time. That messes up the average. Then you can reevaluate. Then you can say, all right, this isn't just a one one off thing, or they didn't, they don't just screw up rarely. If they start screwing up often, that's different. But one screw up over the like twenty years that we've all been using Google products, uh, you know, one security flaw like this is is not a big deal. And and they really, again, when it comes to security they really haven't had very many bugs or flaws.
1: No argument here. I mean, I'm going to keep my stuff there for now, but it freaks me out. It does freak me out.
2: We are brought to you this week by Jamf Now. It's easy to keep track of your own Mac or iPad or iPhone, but what about the other Apple devices at work? As a business grows, so does its digital inventory, and this makes it harder to manage everyone's Apple devices, and this is especially true if you have remote employees. Jamf Now makes it easy to set up, manage, and protect your Apple devices. You can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings to the whole fleet, deploy apps, enforce passcodes, protect your company's data, even lock or wipe a device remotely as needed from anywhere. Jamf Now helps you manage your devices so you can focus on your business instead, and it's so easy to use, you don't need any IT experience to do it. So our listeners can start securing your businesses today by managing your first three devices for free. You can add more after that starting at just two dollars a month per device. Once again, first three devices free. Create your free account today at JAMF.com slash ATP. That's J A-M-F.com slash ATP. Thank you so much to JAMF Now for sponsoring our show. Uh.
1: Uh, Stefan Jacobs writes, I'm kind of new to using the terminal to do things on a Mac, and I've come across Homebrew a few times. I've also heard, though, that Homebrew can make a a bit of a mess if you're not careful, although I'm not sure what careful means here. Do you guys use Homebrew? If not, is there an alternative? Do you know what kind of careful I need to be to be a happy Homebrew user? Uh, Let me start with the easy stuff. I do use Homebrew. I quite like it. Um, I know that there's an alternative. Is it Mac ports? Is that what I'm thinking of that's the popular alternative? I think that's right.
2: Yeah, that's the old one, yeah. Is there anything newer?
1: Not to my knowledge, but uh, again, I wouldn't know. Um, and in terms of what you have to do to be careful, I, to, I don't know. I'm going to learn with you, Stefan. So, John, Marco, would one of you like to tell me what we need to do to be careful?
2: Yeah, uh, just don't let time pass. <laughs> That'll do it. Okay. Just freeze time. Because mm-hmm. this here's the thing: Homebrew is a package manager. That's you know at the heart of it. It's it's just like Linux package managers and everything. It's it's a package manager. People judge, you know, oh, this this package manager is great. This package, package manager is terrible. Oh, like, apt-get is so much better than yum or whatever. Like, everyone has these holy wars over package managers you know, throughout the history of package managers. But the reality is Homebrew has the same problems that almost all of them do. You can get it set up once, and it might work at a given point in time. But over time, the packages will change. The platform you're running them on will change. Or the computer you're running it on will change, so you, whatever you get working once at a point in time, a year later you want to install a new package and oh this requires a new version of this library, upgrade that library. Oh now this broke these old three things that you were depending on or whatever like, it, and then you try to fix that and then it won't build or or the you know it can't remove dependencies or it can't add dependencies or it has no idea where things are or it thinks it works and you run it and all the libraries are broken and it's like it it breaks. the setup that you build with package managers is so brittle that anything that you want to do like three to six months after you did it the first time might not work and actually has a very high chance of not working correctly. And so, so often the solution ends up being, all right, just start over, just wipe out everything that homebrew installed, (laughs) clear out the whole directory and, you know, uninstall homebrew completely and then reinstall it as if it was never on your machine and reinstall all the packages you need have a script that you do, that you can just run over and over again to just do everything from scratch and in homebrew's defense it does actually make that easier than a lot of the linux package managers because it, it installs all of its stuff like in one directory path you know, area, and so you can actually just blow that away usually like you know you make it make it uninstall itself first, but then it'll leave a bunch of crap behind and it'll freak out and it'll yell at you a million times all the crap it left behind and then you can just go delete it and then you can install it as if it was never there and usually that works. So in the sense of like being a package manager, it fails in the same way that most package managers fail. I think it fails in that way a little more often than the mature Linux ones do, uh, but that's also in part because Homebrew is on mac os and apple doesn't give two craps about it and so apple is you know every time apple updates the os there's all new garbage for homebrew to have to deal with or work around or (laughs) whatever else so i'm sure apple's not making things easy on them so it's kind of you know it's building a package manager on a very you know shifting and rapidly moving foundation but still like it breaks a lot And it breaks in all the familiar ways, dependency garbage or library garbage or whatever. But it's also, you know, the work of a bunch of volunteers and we all use it for free. And so I kind of feel bad complaining about it. I've never helped out. I'm not doing anything to try to fix it. It's, you know, it's this big open world thing. I could try to help and I'm not. So I I do kind of feel bad (laughs) saying bad things about it, but, you know. It's a package manager and it's no better and actually somewhat worse than most package managers out there that you would use these days. So expect all the same problems and anything you want to do with homebrew, I would say maintain a a script (laughs) that you can run in the future to set it up from scratch because given enough time, you will need to.
1: You know, I don't think I've ever had to nuke homebrew and try it again from scratch. I'm not not to say that you're wrong. I'm not trying to say that your lived experience isn't right. I I'm just saying that as a second data point I, have my own truth. I, I don't think I've I don't think I've ever had had it go quite that wrong. I've had to uninstall like individual things like uh, let's pick on FFmpeg just for the sake of discussion. Like maybe something goes awry with FFmpeg and I have to, you know, uninstall it via homebrew and then reinstall it. And then it's been fine for me. So I don't know if I'm just maybe I'm not doing as complicated things with homebrew or maybe I've just had better luck. I'm not sure, but. I wouldn't say, in my personal experience, I wouldn't say it's, it's demonstrably worse than any other package manager. Um, but, yeah, I guess, you know, it depends on, on, on what your partic- particular experience is. John, how's it gone for you? Do you even use homebrew in the first place?
0: Yeah, the question was, is there an alternative? The alternative is do not use a package manager. That's what I have done. I don't use package managers, although occasionally I'll install one and use it to install a thing, but I always regret it and go back. So what's the alternative to using a package manager? Uh, Well, a long time ago, in the dark days of Unix, there were really no package managers, and if you wanted software, you downloaded the source code and you built it yourself. That's what I do. I download the source, I build it, and I install everything in user local uh it's kind of like having a single directory where all your stuff is because apple does not put anything in user local so user local is all yours and it can have all the things user local lib user local bin user local man it's all that user local include it's all there and you control all of it the bad thing is if you don't use a package manager it is a giant pile of stuff that is mostly (laughs) undifferentiated But the thing I find most frustrating about package managers, aside from them breaking and having to go through all the, you know, because when when the OS updates, like it's almost guaranteed that a bunch of stuff's going to break. It happens with building from source, too, but a little bit less often, Um, is that very often what you want isn't in the package manager. Oh, you want version whatever of that thing? Well, you can't have it because it relies on version of whatever of this other thing and we don't have that in package management so you can't install the new thing or if you have conflicting versions like you don't get to pick how everything fits together you are at the whim of what is available and the the more popular package management and you know pre-built package repos and uh of like linux distributions give you more options but not that many more sometimes the thing you want isn't there and and the other thing that i find frustrating is if it's not available at all like it's a new piece of software or it just it's not in the package manager at all and you're like well but i have all the prerequisites in the package manager so i what if i just pull that one thing that i want from source it should be able to find all the prerequisites that the package manager installed right sometimes maybe but sometimes not depending on how your os controls that type of thing and mac os in recent years has been getting more cranky about things like a LD load path or whatever the uh, various ways are that you can get some pre-built binary to find a library. That's not where I'd expected it to be. That's also kind of a security problem. So they've been locking down some of that stuff and it gets a little bit tricky. All this is to say that if you build everything from source, it's a pain, but it's your pain and you get to control exactly every aspect of it. As long as the software actually exists somewhere in the versions that you want, you get to manually be the package manager and traverse the dependency chain and build things. Uh, and once you figure it out, you can build a script to do it or whatever. But bottom line is, there will be a new version, a new major version of the operating system, and you might have to rebuild stuff. I I had a user local install of like Postgres, MySQL, uh, a bunch of utilities like wget, and a bunch of stuff that Apple doesn't include that I that I like. You know, links, whatever. I had built a bunch of software. Links
1: the browser. Yeah. why what the hell are you using <laughs> links for in if, 2020? If you're, doing, if
0: you're doing web dev it's uh it's a thing you have to it's a certain set of utilities i always want to be there yeah
1: who's using links in 2020
0: Sometimes just a quick way to, from a command line to uh make a request to a thing and try to load it and it has debug modes and you know whatever anyway oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. And plus if you want to make a version <laughs> so if you want to hear something it'll make you feel make me feel old and uh you know anyway um there was a time when the cool thing to do with your, with your homepage, as we called it, was to yeah. make a cool version of it, uh, that detected when you were using it in links. And instead of having a, like a, a header image had ASCII art at the top. That would look like your header image. So <laughs> <laughs> you could tell you were a hyper elite web developer in right, right. 1994.
1: <laughs> now that I can get behind. <laughs> wow. It was awesome.
0: Anyway. Um, well, I didn't forget where I was even going with that. Uh, What links oh yeah i had i had an install of that that i didn't have to change for like three major versions the trick is static linking (laughs) do not dynamically link static link everything it makes all your executables bigger and it wastes memory but if you statically link your user local can survive across major os updates without breaking for a surprising amount of time eventually it'll probably break because symbols will just disappear and you're usually dynamic linking with something or you know all sorts of stuff it's 32 bit and a 64 bit comes along like that It'll, it'll break eventually but Uh, anyway this is not i can't really i mean this is my answer i don't really recommend it because using homebrew is a million times easier than building stuff from source right (laughs) you know so if you do have to if you use homebrew and it screws up and you have to you know redo it that's tractable doing it just once from source requires like this wealth of background knowledge and experience that no one should ever need to have so i can't actually recommend it but it's what i do and i vastly prefer it to using a package manager
1: so i had to install links and look at my own home (laughs) page because (laughs) now i need to did you install links with homebrew yes i did why wouldn't i
0: you because you uh, let me tell you if i was installing links from source i could not have done it in the amount of time that you just did it so there's an advantage of using a package manager if it has what you want and you don't and you like the version that it has you can get it done quickly
1: All those cores? (laughs) My favorite part of looking at uh, my own homepage or my own website in links is I use the anchor emoji as an indicator of like a permalink. And in links, sure enough, it shows it as a plus sign, a hyphen, and a close (laughs) parenthesis. That's Which awesome! Amazing! That's so great! It really, honestly, is. Does Lynx
0: <laughs> not know that you have uh, like a, a UTF8 terminal program because it should just show the emoji, right? I
1: I don't. I understand what you're saying, and I don't know. I but love
2: that somewhere somebody has like an, an
0: emoji to ASCII transliteration table. ASCII, like,
1: right? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's probably right. built into Lynx. Like this is this is why this, what it's like to be a fancy web developer. Your site needs it look good in Lynx. That's amazing. <laughs>
1: so good. Oh, my word. And Marco Org is also looking pretty decent, all told. I'm surprised.
0: Well, I haven't updated
2: uh. it since Lynx was current.
1: <laughs> uh, it doesn't like your permalink as much, though. It's it's labeled as infin- Infity, which I think is short for infinity. But uh, Infity? Yeah, oh, yeah, that must be what it is. Yeah, I-N-F-T-Y. Yeah. Oh man, that's too bad. Anyway, I could spend all night. To see now, you've totally derailed me. I, sh- I made fun of you, and now I'm I'm sucked in. All right, Matt Rohr writes: What's the difference in any between the Shift, con- Control, Option, and Command modifier keys? Most apps have s- have useful shortcuts, but I don't see the logic behind which key does what kind of operation. For instance, in Finder and system shortcuts, Command D duplicates the selected files. Shift Command D opens the desktop folder option command D shows or hides the dock. Is this pure memorization or are there any patterns we can follow when learning shortcuts? Well, I think for this, I'm going to have to turn to my favorite old man, John, what's the story?
0: Oh, there's a system. All right. Um, so this is uh part of it is like a system, you know, someone thought about ahead of time and, you know, laid out and described in like human interface guidelines or whatever. But part of it is also culture where practices accumulate over time through shared experience. There are certain things that you accept. So I think for if you've been using any platform for a long period of time, and if there is any kind of sort of strong culture, you will absorb it. You absorb sort of the, the, the rules and the norms, whether you're aware of it at a conscious level or not, And that I think the Mac today is a combination of those slight sidebar. One thing that I get irrationally just annoyed by is, and this is just the the hegemony of Windows, I suppose, where people who are using Macs, just a giant room full of people using Macs, and they're all talking to each other about hitting Control C to copy, and it's like, l- believe me, you are not hitting. They're all in terminal windows, like you are not hitting Control C to copy on that Mac. Everyone thinks <laughs> like the main modifier key because 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 Windows dominated the nineties is Control and it's not. As I've pointed out many times, one of the awesome things about the Mac is control is left there for Unix. Control-C can send SIG term or interrupt signal or whatever without interfering with copy, because copy is not Control-C on the Mac. It's Command-C, and the Command key is not the same as the Control key. I know we all know that, but it seems like every time I hear anyone speak who's not like in my specific tiny tech nerd circle it's like oh yeah control c to copy that it's like nope that's not not going to work on your mac but they just they say <laughs> control c but then they hit command c i also get upset when people talk about the alt key your mac does not have an alt key mine does <laughs> <More> <laughs> i know yeah, yours does but even the mac keyboard set like i think mine does it say alt let me see no mine doesn't but i think at a various point even apple shipped keyboards that said alt in like little letters underneath option or whatever Anyway, it's a different key.
2: Mine has a person key and a Skrlok.
0: <laughs> Print screen, scroll lock. Yeah, you need those. Those are, those are super important keys.
2: It also has a Windows key on one side. On the other side, a
0: menu key. I can't believe it. Like, that's, that's such a, a case of, like, Windows envy, where they're like, you know, the, the, the control and alt and all that stuff. But it's like, but Apple's got, they made, Apple made up a button. They made up the command key with the weird Swedish campground uh, a point of interest, attention, whatever symbol on it. Can we have a key too? And being the imaginative people they are, they said, I know, we'll call it the Windows key. And people will accidentally hit it and make the start button show up <laughs> for the next decade. And there it is. And now it's on your keyboard and has a Windows symbol on it. Anyway. The funny thing is, there, during like the
2: last couple of weeks when we were talking about the Windows logo, I never once thought to look down at my keyboard and... Sure enough, there it is. It's the slanted Windows logo. (laughs) It's on the Windows key, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's option, but yeah, but like (laughs) it's option to my muscles, but to my eyes, it's
1: Windows. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Anyway, I, I, that's one of those things that like you can't go back in time and change that. But I'm just so glad that the Mac is the platform that was poised to have a beautiful synergy of the Mac that we know and love and Unix because control is there for Unix to mostly have. Cause in the Unix world, control is the dominant modifier and in the Mac world, it's command. Anyway, getting back to the question at hand here. Uh, the general pattern is the command key command plus some other uh, key on the keyboard is for the most frequently used, most important prime commands. Cut, copy, paste, quit, select all, and any anything in your application so if your application is the finder and you think duplicate is an important function that people are going to do a lot that gets command D the option key in general is used to modify the behavior of some other thing that your thing can already do it's also sometimes true of shift but option in general like culturally and i think probably in the Hague, way back in the day it was like you're going to do a thing but you're going to do a thing in a slightly different way Uh, that can be like uh, clicking or running a command that already exists and adding the option key to the modifier uh there are a bunch of conventions surrounding these for application specific things that are just cultural and weren't really written anywhere but if you use for example any kind of graphics app and you command drag that moves command option drag copies and moves a copy of it uh Shift constrains proportions, option resizes from the center instead of the edges. Like these are just these are all just cultural things that have been sort of cargo culted across many applications. And this is just the realm of graphical applications. But the the modifiers come to have significance, right? It's there is a there's an understanding, like holding down shift and doing a resize you expect it to be constrained because like shift means constrain when resizing things constrained to a square or whatever. holding down shift option means constrain and also resize from the center instead of the edge. And if that if something deep, there's nothing about shift that says that or about option that says that in that context, but it's cultural. But the generic context is command is prominent. Command option is modifier. Command shift is second level primary operations. So if you have a thing that you seem like is a common operation, but the key you want is taken for it, don't do command option that letter, do command shift that letter. It, it, the difference between command shift and command option can be debated, but I feel like culturally there's a sense for if you gave me a bunch of commands in an app and told me what kind of app it was, I could tell you, oh, that one should have command shift a letter and this one should have command option. You also have the alternative, and this happens sometimes too, where you're out of letters and the good letter you want is already taken like you have some operation that begins with a P, but Command-P is print. It's the wrong choice to make Command-P in your program not print, especially if your program can print. Don't take Command-P away from print. But you're like, but then what do I use? It's a common operation. Uh, to give an example, if my memory serves, it might not. Let me let me cheat by looking in the Finder right now, although it might not even be there anymore. Uh, put away in the Finder was a command that was used a lot back in the day, but it can't be Command-P because Command-P is print, and at various times, probably including today, the finder could print. So, what do you use for put away? Do you make it Command Option P? No, that's like page setup or some other thing. Do you make it Command Shift P? But it seems like it's more of an important operation that was done frequently back in the day of like putting something back where it came from or whatever. So, I think someone picked Command Y, I guess, for the end of put away. Not a great choice, but sometimes having a single non you know non three finger corded operation is more important than picking the right letter so you end up with something like command y for put away again i don't know if my memory is failing me it might have actually been a different key or command m for make alias because command a is select all so you can't use command a but should you use command option a it's not related to select all you're not selecting all but in a modified way could you use command shift a Eh, it still seems kind of like it might have something to do with selecting all because command a is so important so how about command m for make alias nobody's taking it and you get to take the single letter right so there is there are rules that you should follow in a hierarchy that you should go through but really a lot of it is also just feel and experience and the best way to find out aside from just sort of implementing the rules of like use single letters when you can use command option for modifications use command shift if there's no (laughs) command options and notice i didn't even mention the control key anywhere in any of this discussion it's there it's available you can use it in your mac apps but that's the bottom of the barrel that's for like all the good commands are taken All, all the command option and command shifts are taken or don't make sense there's some really weird command that you want to do fine their own control that's why a lot of the weird utilities that we all use uh, use the control key for modifiers like the uh like paste bot, multiple clipboard thing you can't use any of the cut and copy and paste commands you know xc and v with with and without option with and without shift are very likely to be taken but command control v probably any reasonable mac app does not take that so therefore it is available to be the bring up the paste ui thing for paste bot. Similarly, command space is stolen by Spotlight, but it was stolen by Quicksilver first, but you can give it back to Quicksilver and give Spotlight the cruddy one. Like, my Spotlight is, like, command option space or command control space or whatever. Anyway, once you start mixing control in, you're really at the bottom of the barrel. Do not put that in your app. If you can at all help but leave control for Unix and for utilities that really need a unique command that they hope an app won't take. Somebody tell Logic... (laughs) does logic use a lot of control sequence i mean if you have a complicated application
2: not only does logic use a lot of control modifiers for their keys and only control like strip silence is control x for some reason um they also use only shift like shift f for select all forward um my favorite thing about logic is that they have many commands that are only like single letter keystrokes like a that's a command The best thing is that the text fields in logic sometimes deselect themselves while you're typing for no reason. (laughs) And so (laughs) you are typing a word into your chapter title. It loses focus for no apparent reason sometimes. And then you finish your word, which has maybe four or five regular letters in it. And the entire interface to the app has changed and something's on, the metronome's ticking and your automation is showing and everything. And you're like, what the hell just happened? And how do I get it back? And oftentimes the answer is, who knows? Quit, don't save
0: changes, and reopen the file. <laughs> You're like, there's no autosave on. Yeah, that, that is another cultural thing. Lots of pro applications do that. Photoshop is an example. B for brush tool, you know, mm-hmm. M G for move, for bucket, or right, V for move. Yeah. Right, the left and right bracket for change brush size. Like yeah, yeah. In a pro applications that have tons of features that are used all day long, single unmodified letters become a useful feature that people like because it's just such a pain in the butt to use with. You know, but they're but they're dangerous, as Marco just pointed out. Like if single letters unmodified can do something and a cat walks across your keyboard, you better hope your app doesn't have autosave or it has a very long undo history <laughs> because who knows? Who knows what just happened. Um, it's true of some Unix utilities, one of the things that uh, I you know we've all always loved about Net Newswire and continue to love, is that it uses keystrokes that are very much like I loved it because they're much like the tin internet newsreader uh, for like a terminal-based internet newsreader for Usenet. Uh, the keyboard when i first used net bar, i'm like this is just like a GUI version of tin single unmodified letters to do stuff k to mark as red spacebar to go down to the next page and then skip to the next art- unread article if you're at the end of the thing All Right, left and right arrow keys to navigate uh that can be a very powerful practice and it gets you out of the business of trying to figure out a million different modified keyboard shortcuts for everything you can do a good mac app like NetNewsWire will still support all of the command shortcuts that you would imagine there's probably a command something to Marcus red and a command something to go to the, but having those single letter shortcuts is also very powerful and by the way for people who don't know because mac is the mac os mac os 10 whatever the hell it's called mac os is built on next step <laughs> which is built by a bunch of unix nerds the standard text fields in the mac will respond to essentially emacs key binding so you can do control a to go beginning of the line and control e to go to end and very often control k to kill and control y to yank and that stuff actually works like the control key is out there available for unix e commands and in most text views on the mac they will work if you know those keyboard commands i don't recommend them like there are you can use up and down arrow to do the same thing and you know command shift to select command option to go a word at a time like there's a million different shortcuts again with the cultural logic the understanding that shift arrow should select as you go and shift option arrow should go a word at a time and command should go you know move the cursor a word at a time and all all sorts of things like if you start to learn those it will be worthwhile because they are repeated throughout the entire os and throughout most popular applications and for the Pro applications, they also have, I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of cultural uh, standard in audio editing applications. I don't know what it is. But, for example, a lot of the graphic stuff I subscribe, described came from like Mac Paint and Super Paint and Mac Draw and Illustrator and, and eventually came to Photoshop and from there spread to the whole world. And so there is that's also worth learning because even though it's essentially arbitrary, if you learn it once, you will have a leg up when using any other app in that category.
1: I think my favorite keyboard shortcut of all time, which I used to use a lot when I was working with other people, um, is in Xcode, if you do Shift-Control-Option-Command-C... So that is is four modifiers and the C character, you get copy qualified symbol name. So if I were to do that on a view controller's view to appear, what I get is, uh, you know, view controller dot view to appear parenthesis underscore colon parenthesis. So that's basically saying this is the real honest goodness official name for this particular function. And it is very useful if you're trying to tell somebody else, like, you need to look at here. You can do that. But that requires, again, shift Control, Option, Command, C. Literally all of the fingers on a regular human's hand in order to do this one (laughs) keyboard shortcut.
0: But it's saving you time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You should look for the web for, I think it's called Save for Web Claw. Like, there's a command that was was added to Photoshop when the web came out, which is save this image for the web, which would save, like, a heavily compressed version of it with selectable color palettes. Like, a different alternate way to save a different version of your Photoshop document specifically made for the web and because all the good shortcuts were taken in photoshop it's like command option shift s or something uh but you do it so often as a web dev that it becomes sort of second nature like I, again like I, I describe what i think is the keystroke i don't actually know like like most of the emacs key bindings i don't know what they are but my hands know so i don't i don't think about it i just go say for web and it happens and my hands did something to the keyboard when that happened Just like when I split the buffer and move from one to the other, I don't actually know the keystrokes to do that in Emacs, but my fingers know. Anyway, there's a meme of taking a picture of how you contort your fingers to do this keyboard shortcut, and there's lots of different variations. If I knew the exact name, we could find the meme, but it's somewhere on the web.
1: Yeah. Save for web dot that is oh, not a Tumblr. <laughs> of course, there's a tumblr, and it is indeed a bunch of people doing all sorts of different displays of how they do their save for web claw. This is something else. I've not heard of this because I'm not a Photoshop user. That is wow.
0: I don't play claw in Destiny, by the way.
1: That's good to know.
0: Thank you for that. That's all right. <laughs> Goodness. some of these safer web clause, you're like seriously that's how you choose to do it but everyone's got their own way <laughs> all
1: right let's uh, finish up with something that i hope will be quick we'll see what happens jesse in south dakota writes i'm curious how you all name your wi-fi networks is it something plain like list household or something punny like tell my wi-fi i love her <laughs> or a pop culture reference like skynet uh, do you or do you not broadcast your ssid uh, for me i have been broadcasting my ssid since like a couple of years after Wi-Fi was new, so the if you're if you're not an old man like me, uh, when Wi-Fi was brand new, the initially accepted thing to do, at least when you were of the age of Marco and me at the time, was you don't broadcast your SSID and you would have to tell people your SSID, but you have no other security whatsoever. So it is, it, by every definition, security through obscurity. And because you didn't broadcast your SSID at the time, what that meant was people would need to know that your SSID was like LIS or whatever in order to get on your network. But once they knew it, you, they they would have the keys to the kingdom. Uh, and to answer the other question, the initial question, my network name is indeed LIS. I kind of wish there was something more pithy or punny or something, but uh, I'm old and boring and so it's just called LIS. Marco, I don't recall your network name offhand, but I remember it being funny, if you're willing to share, and uh, do you or do you not broadcast your SSID?
2: I do broadcast it, and uh, this is like a weird joke that I picked up forever ago, back when I was uh, a Something Awful forums goon uh, in my my teenage and early 20s years, and uh, so kind of playing off of a joke that I picked up all the way back then, my SSID is... Trapped in Router Factory.
1: That's right. I'd forgotten that. I should also do some real-time follow-up. Underscore my name is T writes, all of Casey's life is list puns, and he just calls this Wi-Fi I I was just about to say the exact thing. How is it
0: that you, of all people, do not have a a (laughs) pun-based? It it should be
1: wireless. That's what it should be. Exactly.
0: I can't even believe it. I don't understand how you allowed this to happen
1: to yourself. And then Marco's got the joke one. I know. I'm sorry, everybody. I failed you, and I failed me.
0: You have. You need to change that right away. Oh,
1: Goodness John, what's your situation?
0: Mine is boring. it's not a joke one. I do broadcast it. Um, yeah I don't i like seeing other people's, but I trapped in the router factory is a little long. Like, I don't like it when someone has a funny SSID and it makes the menu really long. I don't like that so I, I think try to keep it uh, keep it short and snappy but I'm, I am not opposed to a joke Wi-Fi um, but no mine just has a boring obvious name. Please say it's called Wi-Fi. <laughs> it is not called It is not. No. that's a stupid name um, the real question is does Marco know what Skynet is uh no I don't really I know it's from a movie but it's from a movie I haven't seen pop culture reference but it gets past Marco
1: wow yeah. even I know that one
0: that's why I asked Marco I, I had faith in you Casey
1: thank you John I did see a few weeks ago I forget where I was now I don't recall but I saw a few weeks ago uh, Silence of the Lands which I had tweeted about which I thought For was the first quite time? great yeah, that's the first time I'd seen it yeah I thought it was great oh
0: my goodness well my faith in you has gone down notch I'm adjusting oh
1: man I should have kept my mouth shut
2: thanks to our sponsors this week Squarespace Collide and Jamf Now I and mean, we will talk to you next week
0: Now the show is over They didn't
2: even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental
0: Accidental. Oh it was accidental
2: Accidental.
0: And you can find the show notes at ATP.FM And if you're into Twitter can follow them at
2: C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S, so that's Casey List, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M, the marco Armin, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental, they didn't mean to,
1: accidental, tech check.
2: Man, there really are a lot of really boring, terrible Wi Fi networks out there. Like, most of what I could pick up from here is just like, you know, people's default routers. It's like, uh, you know, Fios and then random characters. I have three of those in
0: range. Uh, Xfinity is the scourge of all existence. The Xfinity Mm, ones are all just called Xfinity Wi Fi. It's the worst.
2: Yep, Xfinity Wi Fi, yeah. There's also um, Direct CD HP OfficeJet 5740. So somebody's printer (laughs) is advertising (laughs) something. Mm -hmm, Yeah, Uh,
0: printers and Xfinity is just, it's a
2: wasteland. There's a weird thing. I really don't like when um, when iOS has those carrier-specific Wi-Fi networks that it'll just auto-join without even asking you. And it's surprisingly hard to get iOS to
0: stop auto-joining those and remember your preference. I just have it not. I just have iOS not auto-joining networks ever, and also not asking me ever. No, no. That's even if you have
2: that. Like my, you know, I'm on AT and T for my phone service. Even if I, I always have auto-join off, except for, like, in the networks that I add. So, like, you know, it, it never prompts me to, to go join to a Wi-Fi uh-huh. network. But there's some way for AT&T mm. to communicate to the phone to always rejoin these networks automatically. Like, it's... It, I think it's a security hole, honestly. Like, I I... I I wonder, like, if I if I just create a network called AT and Wi Fi, will every AT phone automatically join it? Is it is it just matching the string, or are these somehow authorized to only like certain routers with like MAC addresses or something? I don't even know, but some like it, it somehow it is like the I guess maybe it's part of the SIM card or the SIM standard, the carrier settings, whatever it is. Somehow iOS lets carriers make your phone auto join networks without asking you. And that I think is really weird, and like it always gives me the creeps when I see it, and I always get mad, and, I, and then I try to leave the network, and sometimes it'll remember that I left it, and won't it won't rejoin it. Sometimes sometimes you have to join it and then say forget this network, and it's mm-hmm. it's really messed up. I, I think there's that's got to be a security hole waiting to happen.
0: How many Wi-Fi networks are visible from where you're sitting right now?
2: Seven, but two of them are mine. Casey, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three. <laughs>
0: Casey's the winner. I'm an, I'm at 19. Yeah, I'm lucky that most of my neighbors are not that technical. How how many are insecure? How many don't have the little lock symbol? None.
1: Uh, only Xfinity Wi-Fi. Xfinity <laughs> Wi-Fi. That's my mm. only
0: unlocked one. There's a, I got an I've got an all caps Xfinity that is secure, but Xfinity Wi-Fi is insecure.
1: Wow, that Xfinity! It goes all the way from Boston to Richmond. That is yeah. some powerful Wi-Fi. My,
0: my experience is that any insecure network that says Xfinity Wi-Fi. Is not a real Wi Fi that anyone can or should join. Like, I've literally never seen an Xfinity Wi Fi that's insecure that can actually be joined by a computer. I don't understand what it is. I'm assuming, like, Comcast sends out a bunch of these Wi Fi routers and then they end up being misconfigured and they advertise a network that literally can't be joined and it always shows as insecure. Not that I'm ever intentionally joining them, but sometimes you're desperate and you're like, I just got to get some Wi Fi. And if I see Xfinity Wi Fi and it's insecure, sometimes I'll try it and just out of idle curiosity, but it'll never actually connect. It's not a real network.
1: Well, no, I don't think that's true. So I am not confident about the following. But I think the way it's supposed to work is that if you are an Xfinity subscriber, and only if you're an Xfinity subscriber, then you can basically ride on any Xfinity subscriber's for, uh, Wi-Fi, unsecured Wi-Fi. I'm not sure what the auth dance story is around that. But yeah, but if
0: you're not, like it's it's just a fake network that's just there to just you right. know, distract your computer slash phone. Did you did you ever read about the thing about um, the free
2: public Wi-Fi SSID mm-hmm. that kind of like spreads oh, yeah. itself somehow? <laughs> mm-hmm. You see it at yeah.
0: WWDC even. Yeah, <laughs> WWDC is a great is a great place to look at SSIDs because they're all over everybody's. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, the, what is that Verizon thing starts with an M? Wi-Fi maybe.
1: Yes, I believe that's right.
0: There's a million of those. Everybody's phones have their little hotspots that are all like named default things. You don't see a lot of Xfinity at WWDC though. <laughs> So, so I think everybody who's in my Wi-Fi vicinity is a PC user because I am the only person with spaces in my SSID. <laughs> oh, is that, is that a Mac versus PC thing? No, it's just a Mac people understand that words are separated with spaces and PC people are like, I <laughs> can't have spaces in words, nothing will work. Add hyphens or underscores or squish all the words together or make it all caps. And it's like, no, you can name your things with words, but spaces between them. Like a civilized person. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> that's one of the first things i did with front and center by the way when when lee started the project he called it like front hyphen and hyphen center was the project name I'm like no it's called front space and space center <laughs> with capital f and capital c and lowercase a like a civilized wait project. that's actually like all the files and xcode and everything they have spaces in the paths the project is called that the files are called like you know fnc app delegate dot swift or whatever right but but like but for the
2: project there it it isn't like you know front space and space center dot info dot plist or whatever like that's
0: because that you're gonna you're just asking for problems it is like where where it uses where it uses the project name it does it with spaces like and that's where you can find out like if people lots of people post like here's the build script i used to increment my build number or whatever and they don't properly Uh, quote like the shell Mm -hmm. script it's like but everything as far as i can tell everything in apple system from top to bottom doesn't care if you have spaces. Like everything is properly quoted and prop. Like no no problems whatsoever. And it is used in lots of places. If you look at like the command lines it's running or how it builds stuff, uh, no problem with spaces. Uh, that's uh, that's asking for trouble. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, do that. I agree. It's not though. That's what I'm saying. Like I thought it might be an issue. Right. But not, not at all. Modern technology. Like, it's, this is not, this is a solved problem. It's only when people are sloppy and just like make this assumption that like, oh, there'll never be spaces in file names. And the people who make those assumptions are bad people who aren't Mac users. No, no, they
2: are. And they write build scripts and they write Xcode at Apple. And th- like they, you're right. This isn't a technology problem it's a people problem and people make mistakes all the time and by having spaces in your programming paths like you're 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 just kind of inviting a whole bunch of mistakes to hit you
0: is it's a cultural thing it's it's like that they believe in their heart of hearts that people shouldn't be allowed to use spaces and therefore they code as if that will never be a thing that happens so that's why they're bad they're bad if you like you remember the thing where the the (laughs) The iTunes installer would delete your hard drive. Remember yep. that? Yeah, that was yep. because someone oh, yeah, yeah. didn't think hard drives names because have spaces in it. It's like the default hard drive name has spaces. in it. Macintosh <laughs> Space HD. <laughs> but that was clearly like a Unix person who's like, oh, you, you you don't put spaces in file names. I don't have to worry about that case, and it deletes people's drives. Yeah, wasn't there a Chrome update that did that too? Yeah, just recently. Was it, it wasn't because kind of spaces though? Was it? No, I think it, I think it was
2: something like that. Anyway, I don't know. I, I feel like you're being optimistic here because like because the problem is. You know, it's one thing when you're just dealing with arbitrary file names in an application, fine. But programming paths in particular rarely have spaces in them. And so if you're using some kind of programming you know, environment or script or tools or whatever else, it, I think it's more likely than other contexts... To have not been tested properly with things the spaces in them because it's so rare in programming, uh, you know, directory trees.
0: It's true, and it's all the, the kind of person who's a programmer is also more likely to be the kind of person who is in the mindset that you just shouldn't use spaces anyway, so you should be punished if you use them or not have to worry <laughs> about it. But, but I'm like i said, I, I thought that was a possibility uh, when I made the new project for Swift for front and center, but so far, like, nothing. Nothing in Xcode has blinked at it. Like, no problems whatsoever. And I see, like, in the in the build logs and all the other stuff and all the different, you know, the files it makes and the symbols and all, like, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. So if you're afraid of doing an Xcode, don't be afraid. Because And I would imagine Xcode at this point is so well exercised and so many there are so many Apple developers that surely there are enough of us putting spaces in it that if there's something in the guts of Xcode that can't handle spaces, it would be found really quickly. So my experience has been... Xcode uh, project names with spaces in them, thumbs up.